I'm Radio Roger, and you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. W-A-P-G, it's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 355. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters. Today's show was recorded on the 28th of December, 2018. In today's episode, drones or no drones? Triple seven electrical problems, an Airbus 330 engine failure, failures, more news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, Christmas Outtakes 2018. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. Flight 355 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast, an award-winning aviation podcast. And joining me today to cover the news and answer your great feedback is from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, and so much more, Dr. Steph. Thanks, Captain Jeff. Lovely to see you all this evening for episode 355. And um, yeah, we won an award. Woo! Yeah, we're going to talk about that in the news. News! We we have to gripe about it a little bit, too, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Where I'm going with that. Okay. Also, joining us from his recording studio in the English countryside. A professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, and a part-time department store Santa, Captain Nick. (laughs) Yeah, and when you've taken the amount of trouble I had done to grow a big white beard, you definitely don't want Christmas to finish too soon. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Looking forward to a great show. And also joining us, not from his stately southern mansion, but in a stately historic hotel in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Barbecue master, motorcycle rider, party boat skipper, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. Captain Dana. Well, looking forward to a very nice show this evening. Great to be back in uh, part of 355. Just, uh, I don't know what else to say. Kind of tired today, actually. Cheers, I think. Yeah. Based on cheers. that uh, sound effect? Yep, that's cheers. The one drink I can have today. What is that? It's a like a super big shock top. Shock top. Oh, okay. Top, so you are imbibing some alcohol then. Okay. Yeah, his one, one drink, drink is a one is a keg. Of yeah, it's beer. huge. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost bigger than he is. <laughs> one beer. <laughs> that's it. That's all I'm gonna have. That's one it. Beer. Well, it is now after Christmas. It's actually the fourth day of Christmas, to be exact. And uh, yeah, we're, we're back again for another show. And dare I say, this will be the last show of 2018. 
<laughs> Say it isn't so. It is. Oh, wait. I just oh, did. Oh, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so how was all of your holiday festivities? How did they go? Let's start with uh, Steph. Mm, mine was quiet. Um, didn't go anywhere. Didn't travel. Had um family uh, Christmas on the weekend, actually, because some people had to work during the week. Christmas was on Tuesday. Oh, and so yeah, good. I know. Um, but happens sometimes, so make the best of it. I had some uh, minor dental work on Friday before Christmas, so I spent most of the weekend eating soft foods and watching, uh, binge-watching some series on TV. So there you go. <laughs> Exciting Christmas. But very nice, very quiet. It was nice to have kind of just a uh, not a lot to do and be a little bit lazy. Excellent, excellent. Yeti, poor you, not be able to have uh, your food of choice. Have to look after that mouth of yours. I'm having an Oreo milkshake uh, right now, though. So. There you go. It's health food right there. <laughs> an, or, an oral milkshake. Is there some other way or, of no, Oreo. 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 Oreo oh, cookie. okay. Cookies oh, and cream. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't Cookies and cream. <laughs> Not the IV milkshakes, Nick. <laughs> is that a Dairy Queen version or what is that? Uh, no, this is from like the local gas station down oh. the street. It's actually really good. Oh, looks good. I love the Oreo cookie uh, DQ. What do they call those things? Uh, blizzards. Uh, blizzards. Yeah. Mm. Good, good, good. And they're good for you. Yeah. So don't, don't feel too bad for me. I've no had calories. some uh, yeah. indulgences here. <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, well, I'm glad that you're safe and sound and your uh, dental work uh, went well. And, and you're on the mend and all that. Um, let's see. Uh, Dana. So I suppose you've been working because you're uh, on a trip right now. Yeah, uh, very much like Dr. Steph, however, got to go up to the wonderful city of Boston for the weekend. So got to see family and friends, had a great time, had a little reunion with my high school, some of my closest high school friends uh, over the weekend too. And other than that, got my seven fishes, as I know everybody's mentioned, heard me mention before. Fantastic. My mother-in-law made a special exception, exception and uh, did Christmas Eve a night early for me because I had to leave Monday Monday morning. And I had a rare treat Monday morning. I got a seat in the wonderful, comfortable, wide, and very enjoyable first class. That almost hmm. never happens. So, uh, you know, the uh, I was on a 757 and sat there and enjoyed uh, watching a movie, the latest rendition of um, uh, Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise, and then worked all week. And once I talk about what's going on, I'll tell you about how my work week's gone. So, Okay. That was Christmas. Very good. All right. Um, Captain Nick. Well, it was just a very traditional Christmas for us. Thanks, Jeff. We uh, had uh, the boys came, uh, one came and stayed for a few days, uh, still with us. Uh, uh, we, he go, goes back to work in, a, I think in the new year. Uh, and the other one uh, who has a girlfriend, and they kind of share themselves around between families. And we, uh, Jilly, cooked a beautiful uh, breakfast and, uh, and Christmas lunch. A slightly difficult problem. She uh, fell down the stairs first thing in the morning before she'd even had a drop of alcohol past her lips and uh, wrecked her one of her ankles and spent 
the rest of the day basically sitting down directing operations and the rest of us ran around and tried to do everything according to her uh, very strict rules <laughs> but we got it all done good and hope she's feeling better soon on the mend yeah. Oh, yeah, she's already uh, prancing around like uh, I'm beginning to wonder if it wasn't uh, done by design. But she's, uh, yeah, she's prancing around like a ballerina now. So, hmm. Mm, yes, a little bit of suspicion there. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had a great uh, Christmas time, even though uh, you were you were without uh, your uh, hardworking Jilly. Right. Yeah, we, we made up for it, and uh, the dogs were bustling around. Lots of washing up, as I recall, and lots of dog walking. Uh, a huge amount of eating and uh, a considerable amount of drinking. Everyone was very happy. Good. Uh, spent about three days recovering. <laughs> I know what you mean. All right. Um, let's see. Me? Yeah. We had Christmas here. All the kids are, or the two that are in college were home. And, uh, let's see, Natalie is going to be driving with her mom to Charlotte on Sunday, which is, I think is her, no, that's the day before her birthday. So on the 31st, she is, uh, they're driving over to Charlotte because my Natalie is taking a flight on, I guess the first, uh, for, um, Austria and Germany. She's spending her winter. Uh, semester or winter session or whatever they call it, about three weeks or so, three and a half weeks in uh, Germany and Austria for, you know, schooling purposes, I guess. Air Can quotes. I, yeah. Uh, obvious question. Why is she driving to Charlotte? Because the uh, she goes to school in North Carolina at Elon, and that's the biggest um, international airport that uh, ah. leaves. And because she's going on kind of a uh, – a, a set um, itinerary. Um, yeah, I don't know. She didn't even ask if uh, she could just, you know, fly and save the money, you know, because it doesn't matter to her. <laughs> so, of course not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we could have saved some some cash probably. But uh, oh well. Uh, but anyway, uh, so she's going to be off in that uh, adventure. Um, something to do with music, classical uh, music. I don't know. Do they have classical music in Austrian uh, Germany? The hills oh, yeah. are alive yeah. with the sound yeah. of like, music. Make it stop. Thank make you. it stop. <laughs> mm. HR, HR, please. Just... <laughs> mm, yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, that's it. It was a very quiet um, Christmas time. Uh, sang a bunch on uh, Christmas Eve day and Christmas day. Uh, four masses all together. Okay, four masses all together. No, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, then, that, uh, the next day. That's a massive masses. <laughs> the next day was the feast of Saint Stephen and Boxing Day, so we had a great celebration here. It's always a big thing for us here at the Nielsen household uh, the day after Christmas, and uh, that's about it. Anything else we want to, Danny? You you kind of uh, uh, said something about uh, your present trip or the trip that you you were on before this one. Uh, you had some. Troubles, issues, what's going on? Uh, spin. Now, remember, it is a three-hour show. Yes, exactly. So I'm going to keep it short and simple. Um, the first trip, the three-day, first trip, three-day was fine. The weather was great, so it was really mm-hmm. no issue. Uh, the problem became uh, that <laughs> the amount of time I had in base was only about 11 hours, so I only got about six, six and a half hours of 
really good rest uh, in between trips. So then I started my three day yesterday, flew up to Baltimore, and uh, which turned into a, a 14 hour day because we're airborne heading back to Atlanta and climbing through about 16,000 feet, roughly, and got an EOP, EAOP message, which is an electronic overhead enunciated panel message, as well as a master caution light indicating that the pitot stall system was in op. And uh, so looked at that, had the FO continue to fly the airplane. I took it all, you know, over the QRH and started working on that and, you know, recycled the circuit breaker. It went back in and held for just a few minutes. Then after it uh, had a few minutes to think about it, said, nah, this is not the situation I want to be in, came back out. And the weather in Atlanta was cruddy, so we ended up uh, talking to mechanics on the ground in, in, in the OCC and also to dispatcher. And, and the OCC mechanic said, there's just nothing else we can do. QRH has already been done. There's no other tricks we have. You're pretty much done. And uh, so I, I pimped the uh, uh, dispatcher and I said, so, well, what's going on with the weather in Atlanta? He said, well, let me check into that. And came back and, of course, said that the... <clears throat> Weather was uh, forecasted to have uh, freezing levels and icing, so uh, continuing on because what actually had failed in doing the QRH procedure was uh, we have a selector knob that tells us the different pedo uh, systems and, and, and static systems, are, and you, know, you can look at the amperage on it, and uh, went to the rudder limiter, and I had zero amp. So that was the end of that. We uh, had a little conversation. So, well, what are the options? You know, can I possibly go down lower? Can get below the freezing level? Maybe pop into Charlotte or Raleigh, Durham, pick up some extra fuel, and continue on to Atlanta. And they said, yeah, a few freezing levels down to about uh, you know six thousand feet. So that's not going to work. I said, no. All right. Well, we're turning around. We're going back to Baltimore. Go back to Baltimore. And what turned out to be an easy fix because they had all the parts except for one thing. They did not have the damn epoxy to seal it. We had to wait six hours for the epoxy to come up from uh, from uh, another station. And finally, when they got it, it was a one to two hour cure period. I said, well, if it's a the two hour cure period, we're not going to be good. So we ended up flying back to Atlanta, uh, pushing our duty date to the max, barely got back in. And of course, the weather was nasty by then. And get into Atlanta and taxiing into the gate. Ding, ding. Flight attendant calls up. Yeah, this is the flight attendant in the back of the airplane, in, in the back jump seat. Um, I smell the smell of something burning. Oh, boy. So we just pulled in the gate, and then she came back, dinged right back. Just, but it's rapidly dissipating. It was very faint. So that was enough for me to have to fill out the... the uh, uh, the worksheet on smoke and fumes, uh, we did not have to run the QRH, uh, but of course, uh, this is the second airplane, the poor folks trying to go to Daytona because they had another airplane got hit by lightning, so they're coming to our airplane to use it, and uh, we just grounded it for at least eight hours on, a, on, a, on, a, uh, on an unknown odor cause in the back of the airplane as we were shutting the engines down at the gate. So did she say it was a, could she tell if it was an acrid or a, yeah, she, she smell? said it was uh, more or less uh, a uh, burnt rubbery smell. Mm. And so I'm thinking, you know, that would be pretty, oh, you're landing. 
My landing, exactly. It's what exactly went through my mind. My landing was terrible. So no. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's the same exact airplane that they had to go up and change the uh, the uh, uh, pitot tube on the, the um, um, rudder limiter. Yeah. So one would think that, well, that's, you know, right above but where she's sitting with the, you know, with the uh, uh, tail cone right there. So that smell could, you know, once the air is no longer going through there, because you know we have those little louvers that pull the, you know, mm-hmm. pulls the air out. If that uh, was the factor uh, mm-hmm. or the cause, I mean, that could possibly be, or maybe the the epoxy didn't set properly, and there was some, you know, something going on there. I don't know, but anyways, maintenance got the aircraft. So I've been spending my afternoon here in Philadelphia. Went out for a very nice lunch, and uh, then came back to the room to do a whole lot of paperwork. So. That's what I've been doing all afternoon. Well, that's what moves the world, Dana. I know. Paperwork. Tell you. Paperwork. Well, I have, I've had that same issue. Uh, it was up in Providence. And, uh, yeah, we had to take a delay. And I remember a, a family that was v- not very happy with me and our airline because uh, they were going to miss. It was either a wedding or a funeral. <laughs> One of those major life event things. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, we can't fly the airplane like that. Anyway, <sighs> and Nick has an idea of what the uh, odor could have been. What, what do you think, Nick? Uh, I was just going to mention a little fairy story. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fee, Probably fi, funny. fo, fum. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, I smell the smell of a Boston man. <laughs> um, oh, so, I don't know, perhaps your air conditioning, uh, does it go backwards in your airplane? Everything goes backwards. In <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking about the mad dog, right? Yeah. Uh. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Well, um, I'm gl- so when are you going to be finished with this particular trip that you're on, Dana? Tomorrow I had a, a reroute, uh, which is going to lead into a little bit of extra dinero in my pocket, I believe, because they did it more than 14 hours in advance. Hmm. Um, I actually did it more like 20 hours in advance. So, uh, for so they could today. have uh, made it for somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, and it was like this morning and come down, come up here to Philadelphia, which turned out to be just an absolute joy because the weather is crap and hmm. we got our our proverbial sixes kicked coming out of Atlanta with moderate turbulence and, and uh, the entire climb up to at least into the twenties. There's about 22,000. We're finally smooth. Yeah, it's out, been so. raining like crazy here. Yeah. It's, it was, it was a brutal, brutal day of mm. one leg and I'm exhausted from it. So, and uh, you know, air trap control turned us right into uh, some really heavy stuff. I've never actually been in that heavy of precipitation in the airplane ever. Hmm. So really? uh, it was, it was, it was so loud. We couldn't even talk between each other. Hmm. So it was very heavy. So well, glad fortunately you made it. I went to override on the ignition system mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm supposed to. And mm-hmm. uh, there we go. There you go. It's fun, 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 fun. Hey, guess what? You know, we get um, email on our show, but we also sometimes get, snail mail the old-fashioned kind and uh good lord yeah um from uh texas charlie let me grab this little box right behind me p 
piece of paper. Can you tell? Sounds like a piece of paper. Yeah, it's a real piece of paper. And it has writing on it. There you go. If you're watching the video, oh my. you can see it. What's <clears> that? Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, Dr. Steph, and last but not least, by a long shot, I put that in there, Liz, the enclosed trinkets are in thanks for many, many hours of joy that only an av geek would understand. I'm not a pilot and recently have had precious few opportunities to fly commercially, but as an American growing up overseas, I spent much of my early life in planes and often dreamed of leaving the craft to step out onto the clouds. Your show has rekindled that love in this aging av geek, although my wife Cheryl isn't quite as happy as I have turned a spare bedroom into what she calls the, quote, museum for my aviation collectibles and a, quote, temple to the chief engineer for the 747 project, the late Joe Sutter. Even our dogs wear Southwest Airlines collars, allowing the madness to escape into the rest of the house. But Cheryl does does appreciate the energy and sense of wonder that the APG and the love of aviation have renewed in me. The toy Acme L... Oh, okay. We'll we'll have a little game here. So we're going to see whose uh, gift is whose. Okay. Did I do that right? Whose is... Yeah. Um, so this is a uh, an Acme um, L1011 model, including air stairs, Jen, I know, if you're stairs listening. Truck. Yeah, stairs truck. And uh, a belt loader and uh, some other items. And uh, so whom to whom do you think that this one should go? Well, the pilot's pulled the wings off, so it must be you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming the wings are in there somewhere. Yeah. There's some assembly required. Uh, yeah, some assembly yeah. is required. Yeah. Required, not Yes. Okay, let's see. Oh, and to go along with that, this is for everyone, actually. Can you see all these? Can you, it's in a bag. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Those are the old L1011s? They're a whole bunch of L. So we all get several of these L1011 models. To, uh, wow! To play with. Wait, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Those are the ones they used to hand out when I was a kid. Oh, really? Oh, can that, I, can, that is so exciting. Yeah. Can I pretend I'm flying over the Everglades? No. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, Nick, you always got to bring it down. <laughs> those poor people on Eastern. <laughs> okay, so the plastic on this is kind of. You know, let me see if I can open it up a little bit without ruining it. All right. So here, here is this, this one here. Oh, good Lord. Silver yeah, Jubilee good. year, 1977. And these are um, coasters. coasters. British Caledonian Airways. Isn't that amazing? British Caledonian. Yes. And that was obviously intended for the good Captain Nick. Yeah, was the company my father flew for. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Look at these little guys. You quiero Taco Bell. Taco Bell, these little chihuahuis. Chihuahuis, yep. Looks just like my chihuahua. Looks just like taco. Oh, they're kissing each other. Okay. That sounds like a much larger dog. Yeah. That goes to... Better. Obviously, that goes to Dana. No. <laughs> yeah. That goes to Dr. Stuff, obviously. And Thank you uh, very much. Here we go. I'm wearing a ball cap. It doesn't fit my head very well. I need to adjust it. But it's not for me. Can you read it? No. Yep. Maker's Mark. Ah. Maker's Mark S 
SIV. Four SIV, whatever. Yeah, S4. Whatever that is. Okay. That is obviously for our bourbon drinker. Thank Dana. you. And last Muchas but not gracias. least, a coffee mug specially made with the Airline Pilot Guy logo on it. And he uh, puts on here, I'm trying to read this backwards. Trust me, I'm the producer. Aha. That is for uh, nice was Very nice. Texas and you know what I'll do? Very I'll probably thoughtful. throw in a, uh, I don't know where, the, I think it's behind me. You can see that little square coaster behind me. One of those uh-huh. coasters that uh, uh, Hillel's friend Brian made up for me. There you go. Thank Brilliant. you so much, Texas Charlie, for the, uh, the nice treats. Thank, Thank you, Texas Charlie. It's awesome. All right. So, it's Christmas all again. Hey. There you go. Okay. Uh, that's all I really had to talk Ooh. about. One other thing. Last night yeah. I did have a kind of just um, informal meetup with, you know, Armando, um, who's been over oh, with yeah. the uh, PTUK guys quite a bit. Um, he is here in Charlotte, and I met him and his uh, met up with him and his lovely bride to be Megan last night for a few drinks and dinner. So it was very nice. Cool. Is he uh, back in North Carolina permanently now? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. In a couple more months' time. I was just watching uh, the latest episode of the PTUK today that was just released today. I think they recorded it earlier. And uh, one of the things that they had in there was that segment where he takes up the the co-host Matt Smith up Uh, in uh, his airplane. It was a great video. It was a – that was fun to watch. Yeah. Anyway. So – Armando, um, is he a CFI? If he's not, he should be. Not, no, we were talking about that. Not, not yet. I okay. Think. Is well, that right? Armando, Did I get that right? I don't know. We had a couple. Of yeah, if you're, if you're, uh, correct me if, if you're I listening. Was wrong there. <laughs> I think he'd be a very good instructor. By the way. Okay. Um, hmm. Anything else? Oh, we did receive. Um, you know, as we always say, we strive to hit that fifty percent mark, but um, sometimes. We miss. And uh, let's see. Uh, this was uh, sent in from Sean. Hang on a second, I think. Well, no, I'm not going to be able to do it. I had a little sound effect that I was going to play, but you get spared. Uh, this one is just for Captain Jeff. Hmm. Now he's singling me out specifically. Language is a funny thing. What was right yesterday is often wrong today. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage says firmly, quote, any handbook that tells you that nauseous can't mean nauseated is out of touch with the contemporary language. In current usage, it seldom means anything else. The new edition of the American Heritage Dictionary concurs, since there is a lot of evidence to show that nauseous is widely used to mean feeling sick. It appears that people use nauseous or nauseous mainly in the sense in which it is considered incorrect. But as the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of English Usage usage points out, or as he puts the MDEU, there is subtlety in the way it's used when nauseous means feeling physically sick. So it usually, well, he goes on. So you you basically get the idea here that uh, he goes know, my, on ad nauseum, does he? It does go at, uh, on and on <laughs> ad nauseum, and and I sent him back a response, a reply, and I put in capital letters, "You make me sick." Sean. 
<laughs> so, hope you took that the right way. I hope he's not. Uh, <laughs> I hope he's not nauseated I by that he, reply. I hope he's still listening to the show now because he's probably <laughs> feeling, feeling nauseous. I'm feeling nauseous and nauseated. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I had actually specifically recorded uh, uh, some sounds from that lovely cartoon show, uh, The Family Guy, <laughs> but didn't make it over to this note, unfortunately, or better yet, fortunately for everybody. Didn't have to hear that. Okay. No, really. Thank you, Sean. Um, as usual, I'm wrong and you're making me feel right at home. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see here. I think it's now it's about time. time. It wasn't me. That was wrong. <laughs> yeah, we, we all share errors here and there on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> And it's still the Christmas season, so I'm going to continue using this royalty-free, copyright-free music from Google's audio library, actually the YouTube audio library. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And I'm playing that in place of the Java Jive while we talk about the Coffee Fund. Coffee Fund is your way to support our show financially if you have the resources to do so. Again, really don't want your money if you need it for other things that are much more important. And uh, But some folks that were able to spare a shekel or two uh, since the last episode are Street Steve Trumbell, Jason Kuntz, Vignir Orn Gunnison, or Gunnison, and he has a lot of those letters that have fancy little markings like umlauts and other things that I'm, I don't know what the name of them are. And uh, Luger Humpert. So thank you all of you for your very generous donations to our coffee fund. And, you know, there are expenses that we incur to put on the show. And we also uh, have meetups quite often and that really helps us to offset some of the costs um, in doing those as well. So thank you so much for those of you who are able to do so, uh, who who have done so in the past and cannot uh, any longer do it, um, we see that all the time on the uh, the patrons. Uh, this week we don't have any new patrons. Uh, we've had uh, a few leave, uh, so they come and go, but that's okay. It all averages out, and we do appreciate it. If you were a one-time patron, thank you. If you're currently a patron, thank you. And if you're thinking about becoming a patron of the show via Patreon, thank you for your consideration. And if you want to learn about how you can participate in the Coffee Fun Cadre, you can head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Stand by for news. Let's start with the first item in our news folder update. Miscommunication blamed for drone confusion. 
The suggestion there may not have been any drones at Gatwick Airport was a, quote, miscommunication by police, a government source has told the BBC. Now, this well, this article was written how many days ago? Um, not sure how many days ago, but I think I, I'm not sure that they do have any evidence that there actually was a drone. Do they? What's the latest on that? Well, is there any like video about, or photographic evidence? Or yeah, just... there there were some videos being shown okay. uh, on uh, the news uh, during the period that they were flying. Uh, not close ups, obviously taken with phones and things. So it's a little dot in the background. But there are around 70 eyewitness reports. So it's, it's unlikely that all those uh, witnesses were, um, you know, having a mass uh, hysteria or, uh, you know, un having hallucinations. I, but uh, this one guy, uh, this one senior police officer seemed to cast doubt on the fact uh, and sadly did it in a public way. Um, so that immediately uh, got picked up by everyone going, oh, there weren't any drones anyway. So it was a huge, great big mistake. Uh, the, the government were very quick to uh, stamp on that and go, that is just one guy who was just saying, well, of course, eyewitness reports are notoriously inaccurate. So it is possible there wasn't a drone. I think he was uh, just, you know, probably stating uh, the faintest of uh, possibilities, but... Uh, yeah, was, and it was taken the wrong way, I guess. Yeah, but as, that as couple, the media will. That couple that they did arrest, of course, not long after they arrested them, they released them, uh, a, a man 47. Yeah, they're pretty upset. They're apparently, they were at work at the time, uh, so, and if had they bothered to uh, find out their, their bosses, they could have told them. <laughs> they yeah, were couldn't have them. <laughs> so they, wow. they took them quite a while to, uh, to get around to checking their alibis and let them go again, but... Uh, uh, it's still ongoing. And, uh, you know, as we said last week, or as I said last week, there's a chance they won't catch these guys, uh, whoever did yeah. it, guys or girls, um, because, uh, you know, they're, they're small objects so that they can be flown discreetly, uh, you know, um, from, you know, a, a field or something where no one's around. And then you can land them somewhere completely different and pick them up. Very hard to work out what's going on. Well, I'll tell you what, I was, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with the situation at Gatwick, but I was out for a run at a local uh, school track the other day, and I was the only person out there running on the track. And as I was leaving, um, you know, those little drones kind of make a very distinctive sound, very oh, yeah. much like Jeff's uh, vacuum cleaner. Not, not exactly, but I went, oh, I looked, and I mean, it was, that Jeff? you know, not far from where I was, and there was no one else around. So I have no idea who was. It was not very high off the ground, but it, I don't think it was within line of sight of whoever was flying it. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, big big problem with the, with the drones, their range has increased significantly. You can go, what, I don't know, one, two, three, four miles away? In some yeah, of them. I, don't, I don't know the exact number on the range, but... Well, they can fly 45 minutes or an hour, and they can do 50, you know, 60 miles an hour, easy. Hmm. So, yeah, they can go and... Const Considerable distance and then come in again. Yeah, I mean, I uh, they, they, you know, it's just a matter of how far the radio transit, you know, transmitter can transmit. But I know some of them are a couple miles from, from the, uh, yeah. Well, and, they, uh, and some can well, go into on autonomous mode, I think, as well. And they just yeah. use GPS. Yeah, you can pre program them to, to fly to uh, using GPS to pre programmed waypoints, in which case you don't need to even have your transmitter turned on. That's just to activate them get them going, but once they go into autonomous mode, that's it. They're, they're off. Hmm. 
Crazy. Well, as we said, you know, it seems like if this was an organized effort by one of these groups that were against uh, airport expansion, runway expansion, that kind of thing, that they would have most likely by now taken responsibility for it. Um, but I don't know. Um, yeah, you would have thought so, because there's not the, the one thing they have done all, all in all their previous attempts is to have big banners out, and they immediately uh, indicate that this is their purpose. Their purpose is to disrupt air traffic for whatever their um, political or personal reasons are. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, I think perhaps the amount of uh, disruption and the um, possible prison time uh, might have deterred them. I don't know. But as we mentioned the last time, that uh, this is probably giving a lot of groups like this ideas about, ooh, hmm, maybe we can do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sure we'll be, uh, you know, anything anything new comes from that story. We'll uh, certainly talk about it on this show. Sure. Item B, uh, is it LATAM? LATAM? L-A-T-A-M? Not sure exactly. Huh? I think it's Latam. Latam. Yeah, I think it often gets short just to Tam. To Tam. Well, it was. Okay. Yeah, Tam was a separate. Uh, well, is before two airlines merged, right? Ah, okay. Uh, Lan and Tam. Oh, Lan Tam. That would right. be easier. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, one of those airlines, triple seven three hundreds, registration Papa Tango Mike, uh, uni- <laughs> unicorn. <laughs> Plain Golf. talking mug. Yeah. Yeah. PT that, that's plain Carlos. talking mug. Ooh. Yeah. yeah there you go. PT mug. That? I don't know. Perf- performing flight 8084 from Sao Paulo, Garulas, Gurrojas. How did I do there? Stuff. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> in Brazil to uh, London Heathrow. Hey, I, I can get that one. With 341 passengers and 16 crew, was en route at flight level 290, about 90 nautical miles southwest of Belo Horizonte in Brazil. When the crew decided to divert to Belo Horizonte due to electrical problems, the ram air turbine deployed. The crew performed an overweight landing, emergency landing, on uh, the Belo Horizonte's runway 16 at 0143 local time and became disabled on the runway due to all 12 main tires having deflated. The airport reported the airport will be closed until 1900 local. The airline reported the aircraft diverted due to technical reasons. During landing, the tires of the aircraft were damaged and will need to be replaced, obviously, before they can uh, move the aircraft or remove it from the runway. All passengers disembarked safely. The removal of the aircraft, however, has been prohibited uh, until they get the new tires, I guess, replaced. Passengers reported that there was a strong odor in the cabin. Subsequently, the captain announced there was a serious electrical fault, prompting the diversion to Belo Horizonte. Am I saying that right? What do you think? Yeah, sounds okay. fine to me. Uh, another I would say pas- Bilo. 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 Bilo Horizonte. Well, I don't I'm sure. What, what does it mean? A, Does it mean vacuum-powered artificial horizon? Is that what it is? Hmm. This no. is a city below oh, okay. the horizon. It's in Portuguese. Well, oh, okay. So right. I'm, oh. Portuguese isn't uh, good. It's below below, below horizontal. I, b- oh, okay. I, I bet that if Nelson were in the chat room, he'd be able to tell us. We had yes, someone else listening from yeah. Portugal. For, that's right. Somebody in the chat room is uh, from Portugal, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, Armando says it's correct, so very good. Okay. But what does it mean, Armando? 
Okay, another passenger reported that suddenly all the lights and the in-flight entertainment system went out. Only the emergency lights remained. Shortly afterwards, the aircraft began the descent towards the Bilo Horizonte. The crew announced that they had lost all electrical systems and were unable to dump fuel. The landing was hard. Emergency services foamed the landing gear. About one hour after landing, they were able to disembark via stairs. In the terminal, it was being said that the aircraft had lost all navigation equipment, and the commander flew the aircraft with the assistance of air traffic control on the remaining radio for a safe landing. When the crew finally showed up in the terminal lounge, the crew was received with lots of applause. The captain took and answered a lot of questions. Uh, Let's see. A... An ATR-72, I hope that it's a very large one. Didn't they say there was like 341 passengers? Uh, had Oh, I guess a couple of them had been dispatched to take about seven tons of equipment, including the needed oh hydraulic jack and replacement tires. Okay, I thought they were going to use those to get the passengers to wherever they were going, but no. On December 20th, Brazil's uh, CENIPA, that must be their investigatory uh, body reported electrical failures occurred in cruise flight, which also compromised other aircraft systems. The crew decided to perform a precautionary diversion to Belo Horizonte for an overweight landing. As a result, the brakes overheated, causing the fuse plugs of the tires to open and the tires to deflate. And um, perhaps, um, Nick, can you explain to our audience uh, what the whole purpose of fuse plugs are? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, well, uh, when you heat up a, a tire, the, it gets to such a high uh, pressure that if it uh, gives way, it can explode with a great amount of force and that could obviously injure firefighters around and uh, bits of rubber can uh, smack into the airframe and do a lot of damage. So the idea is that there's a uh, an aluminum fuse pipe built into the hub of the tire uh, that will melt at a, a temperature just before the uh, tire would explode and deflate the tire. So when the flu- fuse plugs uh, melt, the tire just all the air just rushes out and the tire doesn't explode. So it's a safety feature. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Um, there's also a transcript here and also uh, VAS Aviation or VAS Aviation, a great uh, YouTube channel that we've used many times on our show, show as a source actually has this, uh, the radio communications between uh, the captain or the, the crew of this flight and the air traffic controllers. Unfortunately, it's in Portuguese, so that's really hard to understand. But uh, we have the English translation uh, here. It'll be in the uh, show notes. And when I first read it, that was this is before I'd heard the uh, audio of it. And it sounded to me like, or maybe in my head, uh, it, it sounded like this person was pretty urgent about what he was saying. And, and, uh, you could tell just from the words he was using that, um, it seemed like it was a pretty serious, uh, problem, but listening to the, um, audio, um, I was surprised at how cool, calm and collected the captain was when he was, you know, saying all this communicating with, uh, with the air traffic controllers. So, uh, that was pretty cool. And, uh, go, this article goes on to say, this is from the aviation herald, uh, on December 22nd, the Aviation Herald learned that the electrical problem started with the failure of the right-hand backup generator. As a result, both transfer and both converter circuit breakers popped, leaving all electrical buses unpowered. Although left and right main generators, as well as their generator controls, the APU and the left backup generator remained operative. But unfortunately, the 
the bus is where all the, everything gets sent, and that's where all the uh, things that use the electro, electricity um, g- tap into. And if the buses are inoperative or not powered, then you know it doesn't do any good for all these things that are actually providing electricity out there. They can't get to the bus, right? So that's the result or the reason why uh, the the airplane had this emergency because they were left with very few. Um, electrically operated instruments and navigation stuff and radios and lighting. Uh, so um, along with this, it didn't make it to the uh, to the uh, article, the note here in Evernote, but there are some pictures, I guess, of the electrical um, o- overhead panel that show, or maybe maybe it's something that comes up on their screen that shows the routing of all the all the sources of electricity, the buses and everything else and how, you know, it gets to a certain point and then everything is basically dark. And so it was a, a major issue that they were dealing with and it was a, they did a great job. And one of those things that w- wasn't working uh, was the fuel dumping ca- uh, capability of the airplane. And so they had to come in overweight and hence the, uh, the brakes overheating and the tires deflating. Yeah, not a nice situation to be in. Uh, they w- with the um, with the essential buzz being the only ones left. You, you are literally down to the kind of equipment that a Cessna one hundred and fifty is going to have. So you'll probably have one ILS, one VHF radio, and depending on the aircraft uh, type, you know, um, you might have one control computer for the uh, the flaps and the gear. This being a triple seven, of course, it's probably a lot of it's going to be uh, uh, not necessarily computer controlled, but um, it, it is enough to get the aircraft back safely. That's that's the whole idea of having an essential buzz. That is the essential equipment, the absolute you know essential stuff you need to get on the ground. Um, so it's never very nice. Uh, we do it occasionally in the simulator. End up on a on the essentials, uh, and uh, you you do miss an awful lot of equipment, like uh, you know GPWS and uh, most of your nav equipment, most of your. Um, uh, ability to program your waypoints, uh, all that kind of stuff uh, is becomes a, a nightmare. Uh, I don't know what it's like in the 777, but it certainly wouldn't have been an easy job for them. So, yeah, good job. Yes. Job well done. Okay. Um, Chris. You were wondering, oh, just real quick, you were wondering yeah. about Belo Horizonte? Yes. It means uh, beautiful horizon. Beautiful horizon. Oh, not oh. not vacuum powered horizon. Not, okay. not vacuum powered. <laughs> Although I, <laughs> I was looking it up uh, just on Google Translate as well, and oh. it says horizonte can also refer to fishing line in Portuguese. So it's either beautiful horizon or beautiful fishing line. I'm not I'm sure. I'm thinking which. horizon. You sure? Think, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a fishing talk, community. Who knows? Talk, talking about an airport. Beautiful horizon. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay. Excellent. So, our good friend, community member uh, Chris, uh, sometimes referred to as the Guru, uh, in northern Alabama, sends us a an article uh, from uh, WBRC, uh, and this took place on Interstate 20, which is a major U.S. interstate highway that cuts through Birmingham, Alabama, and other uh, cities in northern Alabama. In fact, then uh, and heads into Georgia and goes right through downtown Atlanta as well. Uh, anyway, um, the FAA confirms a single-engine airplane made an emergency landing this afternoon on I-20 in Talladega County. And there were no injuries, and there's some 
pictures here of the airplane uh, after it landed and kind of went off the road a little bit, probably to, you know, uh, let the allow the traffic to, to get by, I'm guessing. And looks like the landing took place at 4.15 p.m. at the 173-mile marker westbound between the exit and on-ramps. The pilot was identified as James Williams of Anniston, which is not too far from where this occurred. Williams was the instructor. He had a student pilot with him. Williams was flying the plane at the time of the landing. No one in the plane or on the ground was hurt. Um, according to Harrell, who is this? Is this the uh, Corporal Jimmy Harrell of the Alabama State Troopers? He said that uh, he was a very skilled pilot. And uh, looks like the airplane made it through in one piece and no one it was one of those little miracles right little christmas miracles it's a nice long stretch of road there too yeah so he landed on one of these magical three mile straight bits of road that are there for to be used as landing airplanes yeah (laughs) yes thank you in wartime (laughs) all part of the plan of the eisenhowers no please don't don't send him any feedback we know that that's not true and he knows it too who me yeah. I'm just a Brit. Can't blame uh, that on me. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> Even more so. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I was just thinking. Well, that's because the Brits don't have very many straight roads. It's just. Oh, true. I was just thinking that all the roundabouts there, maybe that's <laughs> where they came up with that kooky idea for round runways. Oh, it could oh, be. There yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, could be. <laughs> I just want to know how Harold knows that Williams was a very skilled pilot. Well, because he landed without hitting any cars and yeah, he didn't, didn't hurt kill anybody. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, duh. Well, you just have to assume that he is, right? It makes for a good story. It does. Of course. Media sensationalism. Yeah. Yeah, but he might actually be skilled. He really does. Probably is. He's a flight instructor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a flight instructor. What's that say? Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, that just proves the point that... uh, he was a very skilled pilot. Uh, of course. Okay. Uh, continuing on, item D. Uh, this is a serious incident. An Airbus A330-223 uh, was operated by Brussels Airlines, Flight 358, departing Kinshasa's. Oh, Kinshasa. Um, Kinshasa. What did I say? Kinshasa's. <laughs> Kinshasa's. Okay, what's the next word there? N apostrophe D J I L I. Najili. Njabina. What? There's nah, no something like that. <laughs> it's Najili. Yeah, it's, it's a short. Najili. Najili. So he's right giving me. me a bad time. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, this airport in Kinshasa and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, what happened here? They were on a regular flight to Brussels from there. During the flight at 0150 hours on December 11th, when the airplane was cruising at flight level 400 over Algeria, engine number one, a Pratt & Whitney 4168 Alpha, failed. The crew declared a pan-pan and considered a precautionary landing in Djerba, D-J-E-R-B-A. Never heard of it. I don't know. Uh, engine one was successfully relighted afterward and the crew decided to continue the flight towards Brussels. When in descent toward Brussels at 537 in the morning, engine number two failed several times 
and relighted automatically each time. At 5.45 hours, the airplane landed safely on runway 25 left at Brussels Airport with both engines operating. The incident aircraft was still on the ground by December 24th, so on the ground for a couple of weeks. And in the investigation, well, it's not here in this uh, particular article. It was somewhere. Uh, maybe the full article, which we'll have in the show notes, uh, talks about the fact that they suspect that there was some fuel contamination at the airport in Kinshasa, which makes sense for both engines to fail at various points uh, in the flight. Now, I don't know, you know, what do you think about their decision to conti- continue and not get the airplane on the ground as quickly as possible? Nope. Uh, yeah. Uh, once you had an engine failure, I'd be uh, very uh, concerned about carrying on. But having got it going again, I mean, uh, don't forget, uh, if you lose an engine in the middle of uh, the Atlantic, you know, your ETOPS, it's quite normal to expect a, a transit of several hours uh, sometimes, depending on your ETOPS capability to get to uh, a diversion. But he is going over, once he's reached the uh, the south coast of France, he's going over a lot of good airfields. And perhaps that's in his mind. Perhaps that if he has another problem, he uh, he can put down at any one of these airfields en route. Uh, but I would have been personally tempted. He's gone the right way from one end of France to the other and in, then into Belgium. So personally, I'd have been tempted to put it on the first available decent place. After all, he's going to go right past Toulouse, for heaven's sake, where they made the damn thing. So yeah. uh, he could have thrown in there without any problem. But uh, It seems to me that in our country, the FAA would probably frown pretty sternly at that. I don't know what the rules are uh, in IAZA, but uh, I'm pretty darn sure that uh, that if that were me and I overflew all these other places after an engine failure, that they would uh, probably take certificate action. I would. I, I wouldn't have thought he would have done it without consultation with the engineers. And of course, yeah. this aircraft can download all the data concerning uh, all its uh, systems True. to the engineers. They can look at it in detail. They can examine the manuals, take it a, a close examination of what happened and uh, make a considered uh, decision to carry it on or not, particularly since the engine relit. Um, mm-hmm. Now, thing I was going to say was, do you remember the plain tale I did about uh, the uh, 330 uh, out of um, uh, somewhere in Indonesia flying to Hong Kong? It, this sounds so similar. It's almost identical. They got to the top climb. They had a, uh, a fault on one of their engines, and uh, then the engine stalled, and then on the approach into Hong Kong, they got a fault mm-hmm. on the other engine. They managed to get one engine remained at sub-idle. The other engine remained stuck at 70%. That, again, was uh, fuel contamination. I'll be fascinated to find mm-hmm. out if this is the same sort of an event. Uh, their fuel contamination was caused by a breakdown in the uh, filtering system from the uh, device that pumps the fuel from the gallery up into the aircraft because because uh, the gallery had recently worked on and seawater had got in, and that uh, caused the filter itself to break down. And the filter, which is a bit like the stuff you get uh, in uh, babies' nappies, it's highly water-absorbent, escaped and uh, got into the fuel system and made the fuel valve stick uh, in the fuel system, which yeah. was causing all their problems. Now, this sounds remarkably similar. Yeah, may have been the same, eerily similar, at least. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, the good news is that it had a happy ending. Everybody was safe and sound on the ground in Brussels. 
Mm. Indeed. All right. And last, but certainly not least, uh, this was just thrown into the news folder this morning by our producer, Liz. Thank you, Liz. And she, she puts in there, I'm not sure if you want to cover this or not. You know, it's kind of like tooting your own horn. Uh, but we're going to do it anyway. We, we never do it, so. No, no. Doot, doot. Just this one time. <laughs> Indulge us. Um, well, we got this email from Anuj Agawar. Ar- Ar- I don't know. Um, from a, uh, a service called FeedSpot. And... Um, he says, my name is Anuj. I'm the founder of Feedspot. I would like to personally congratulate you as your website, Airline Pilot Guy, has been selected by our panelists as one of the top 20 aviation podcasts on the web. Yay. Okay. Overwhelming enthusiasm from all of us. Yeah. There is only probably 20 aviation <laughs> podcasts, so that's... No, there are a lot more. Just go to iTunes. I'm You'll see kidding. that there are many, 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 many. Anyway, um, so we are very pleased that they looked at our show and we came in number two. Hey, we're number two. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, awesome. Air, air, the Airplane Geeks, of course, well-deserved. Uh, they've been around the longest, and uh, they have a great uh, audience and a great show. And uh, they were, they're number one, and uh, we came in number two, and uh, followed by Aviation Week, uh, Stuck Mike Avcast, Aviation Careers Podcast, Simple Flight Radio, MBAA Flight Plan Podcasts, The Finer Points, EAA's The Green Dot, uh, ready for takeoff. Yay, George Nolly, mm-hmm. ready for takeoff. Made the uh, number 10 slot. Uh, Expert Aviator, Airline Weekly, Aviation News Talk. Uh, that's uh, Max Trescott's wonderful show, Aviation News Talk. Congratulations, Max. Australian Aviation, Pilot to Pilot HQ, uh, Just Plane Radio Extended Podcast, and Uncontrolled Airspace. Now, it said the top 20, and yeah. there's only 18 listed on well, this list. <laughs> just leaves you wondering who the other two lucky winners might be. Yeah. So the thing that I wanted to mention is that I, I there are some that we all know, especially in our APG community. Uh, many of you are also members of the audience of several other fine aviation podcasts that weren't even mentioned in this. And I'm a little disappointed by that. And uh, let's, uh, of course, we're talking about the Plane Talking UK, the Plane Safety Podcast, Flying in Life. Help me, crew. I don't want to forget anybody. Uh, oh, the opposing um, bases. Opposing bases and uh, podcasting on a plane. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to leave out somebody's fantastic podcast, but that's just what five right there that come to mind that should be at least in the top 10, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess it depends on where he took his audience from. So right. uh, where does he take the votes from? If he's, uh, you know, in another part of the world, uh, then perhaps those po- uh, aren't quite as popular over there. I think part of the problem is that this, uh, the feed, what is it called? The uh, the feed spot. spot. It's kind of an aggregator of RSS feeds. Mm-hmm. And, and mostly I think it's focused on blogs um, and not podcasts. So we podcasters generally use websites, uh, blog style websites to basically enter our episodes into the 
RSS feed or out there. And so that everybody's podcast apps and iTunes and all that kind of stuff, you know, see, oh, there's a new show, a new airline, airline pilot guy show, etc. And I think that because it's focused on blogs and not necessarily podcasts, uh, that that's the reason why some of these other fine podcasts didn't make it into this list, because they may not have the same kind of structure that we have as far as the way we uh, get our shows out there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, a lot of people sure will just does. use like Lib- liberated syndications, a company that we use to, to uh, upload and serve our media uh, to the audience, but not everybody uses liberated syndication. Uh, they may use some other kind of um, uh, infrastructure that um, may not show up as a website blog. So, would completely, you know, not be in the view of somebody like uh, Anuj and his uh, company Feedspot. So, anyway. But we're honored sense. nonetheless. Thank you. Yes, Fantastic. we are honored. Thank you very much, Anuj, for uh, the honor. It's uh, nice to be uh, in the company of several uh, great podcasts that were listed in this top 20. And uh, I'm just saying, hey, you people out there, you know who I'm talking to. PTUK, Plane Safety, Family in Life, or Flying in Life, um, Opposing Bases, Podcasting on a Plane, at Al. Um, yeah, he should be there too. So, all right. Captain, incoming message. Okay, our producer has directed me to start with item number 12 on or in our feedback folder for today's show and that is because this gentleman who sent me this audio is in our audience and i think that it's pretty probably pretty late for ahmad hello captain jeff this is ahmad danhamu from nigeria calling to wish you a very happy birthday today and i hope your days with precious memories have a good one and stay blessed Send my warm regards to your family and your APG crew. Thank you. Thank you, Akhmad, for the birthday greetings and also the greetings to everybody here on the crew. Um, we we uh, hear from Ahmad um, many, many times uh, in the past. And as he said, he's in uh, Nigeria and he used the Google Voice. Uh, I don't get many pieces of audio feedback anymore from the Google Voice number. And let me see if I can remember that. Um, what is it? Area code 40399 pilot. I think that's it. Or maybe it's 304. Whatever the West Virginia area code is. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you had to go to find pilot. Yeah. You were able to yeah, spell anything out pilot. with pilot in it. Yes. <laughs> Although someone, um, oh my gosh, was telling me about, uh, I don't know if it was one of their kids or, or someone of a much younger generation. Um, they didn't realize that numbers on the phone could also, they also had the letters so that you could spell mm-hmm. things out with a phone number. I think that was a completely oh, yeah. foreign concept. Well, does well, so if we go to our keypad, it still has it on there. Oh, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, well, I think it still has letters on there. But you know, it wasn't even that long ago where you had to use just a regular keypad to do text messages that way. You know, where you had to like go through yeah. all the letters like three times. You had to push for certain. Yeah, yeah. What do they call that? Something nine. Oh man, I don't even remember. Anyway. The, the geeks, the tech geeks out there know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was it was interesting the other day. I was uh, 
I needed to give my daughter's telephone number to somebody. And I said, Chris, what's your sister's telephone number? <laughs> and so he looks up in his iPhone and then hits the uh, information thing yeah. to see what the number is oh, yeah. because nobody uses numbers anymore. I think you know, there's just, exactly one phone number that I can remember off the top of my head other than my own <laughs> yeah. anymore. But what's your number? Um, um. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> it's number three. Okay. Um, so thank you, Ahmad, for uh, your wonderful greetings and uh, for, for using our Google voice number, which is West Virginia area code. 304, pilot. we're pretty huh? sure. 304. 304. 304. 304. Can we just go to the website and find it well, here real quick? Hamish says it's 304. Okay. Thank you, Hamish. <laughs> 304-99 pilot. 304-997-4568 or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are either. <laughs> Ah, boy, I'm a sad person. Okay. Um, let's uh, go right back to the top of the list. Uh, uh, item number one, uh, we received some audio feedback from Mike Dell, who is, uh, who I, I call him my podcasting guru, and he is a, uh, a person heavily involved in the podcasting world and RSS feeds and that kind of stuff. By the way, Mike, I need to talk to you about something. I'm having some issues with the Catholic pilot feed. Um, and you know what, while I'm talking about it, that should have been something I, I should have talked about at the beginning of the show. If you're listening to the show and, and, uh, you're somebody who has listened for a very long time, like Captain Jeff, the good looking Captain Jeff, he started listening to uh, Catholic pilot episode number one. I think he's probably one of the longest, um, you know, what, what, what would you call that? Longest, um, running, um, has been with, um, uh, listener, me supporter. listeners. Yeah. Supporters. Friend. Exactly. All that. Thank you, Steph. Um, and uh, so I know that he subscribes to the podcast via the Catholic Pilot feed. And what happened when I rebranded it, I went ahead and just kept the Catholic Pilot feed at the same time. So it's kind of like a mirror of all the shows that I put out there on the uh, Airline Pilot Guy feed. And for quite some time now, I've been thinking about uh, just stopping the Catholic Pilot feed completely because it does uh, require extra work for me because everything that I do for the Airline Pilot Guy show feed, I have to duplicate and do it for the Catholic Pilot feed. And I guess at some point I thought that I would somehow start producing stuff for the Catholic Pilot feed in addition to the Airline Pilot Guy show. And uh, I think that pretty much now that's not going to happen. I, if I haven't done it by now, I'm probably not going to do it. So if you don't mind, if you are one of those people uh, that I'm, and I think there are only like 61 people that are subscribed on the Catholic Pilot feed. If you're one of those 61 people, do me a favor, go over to iTunes or whatever podcatcher that you use or whatever you know podcasting client software you use to listen to podcasts and uh, subscribe to the Airline Pilot Guy uh, feed. And then eventually I, I can just stop the Catholic Pilot feed completely. Now, it seems that it's stopped on its own. I think the last show on the Catholic Pilot feed is 350. And this is 355 right now. So um, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to fix whatever's going on with that or not. So sorry for that uh, technical interruption there. But if you're one of those Catholic Pilot subscribers, please resubscribe to the show via the Airline Pilot Guy feed. And I believe 
if you go over to the Airline Pilot Guy website, or you can do it on iTunes, or, but uh, or podcast, Apple Podcast, or whatever. But uh, the, the information about the feed is on the website as well. There we go. Okay. Now, getting back to Mike Dell and his audio feedback. In addition to being um, a uh, somebody who is a, a guru in the podcasting world, uh, and who also has his own podcast, uh, Mike Dell's World Studio slash podcast, podcast help desk, and fast food history podcast. Um, he was also in the U.S. Air Force, and I believe was an F one eleven weapon systems officer. Uh, officer, and I'm not sure if he flew anything. I don't think he flew the F four. Uh, I know that Jim did, but. Uh, Mike, I believe, was an F-111 guy. And uh, he sent us some audio feedback. So let's hear what Mike has to say. Hello, Jeff and crew. This is Mike Dell up here in the north woods of Michigan. And you guys were talking about the story of the heart that didn't get taken off the airplane uh, as cargo. And interestingly, between real jobs. I worked as a courier for a couple of years as a uh, contractor for a courier company. And part of what we did, amongst other things, was haul uh, transplant organs and uh, other medical devices and or parts. And the word parts is uh, in quotes, uh, as we would haul all kinds of things between hospitals and airports and airports and hospitals and other weird places like that. Uh, you talked about the uh, box of eyeballs. Uh, yeah, they still do that, but they do go in regular cargo now. And the eyeballs are in a, in a box, and it's for corneal transplants. Uh, here in uh, Traverse City, Michigan, they used to pick them up at the uh, Delta Airlines cargo counter and take them to actually the physician's house, usually sometime in the evening, and then Apparently, she used them the next day in surgery, but I'd end up going to her house, and uh, she just put them in the fridge, <laughs> so I guess uh, it isn't as uh, critical as it once was. Uh, as, as for hearts, I never uh, participated in a uh, live organ transplant uh, of a heart, but when we uh, did live organ transplants of kidneys and other various parts. Uh, nine times out of ten, it was uh, me meeting a uh, business jet of some sort, either incoming or outgoing uh, at the airport. So uh, it wasn't done by the airlines. Anytime we shipped a heart, it was uh, via the airlines and it went in regular cargo. It was uh, packed on dry ice. And uh, I do not believe that those were live transplants of the whole organ. I think they were uh, just taking parts. One of the weirdest ones, uh, well, two weird ones. One was uh, used to get a call every once in a while to go to the morgue. So I would uh, show up at the morgue, and uh, the guy would uh, roll out two great big coolers taped together, or, well, taped shut, and then, you know, on, on wheels, and uh, asked him what was in there, and he says it was a whole skeleton. Apparently people... Uh, donate their skeletons to science, and uh, that's how they get to where they're going. They uh, just a big old, uh, like a beer cooler, uh, full of uh, 
know, wet ice, not dry ice, wet ice. And it's the entire skeleton. And uh, one time I got to the morgue a little early and uh, accidentally got to see some someone filleted out on the table. It was pretty uh, disgusting. But anyway, <laughs> had to ship those before. And then the, the weirdest one ever, we have a, a, a medical lab couple hours north of here uh, by car and uh, they have a f- uh, I don't know what you call it a herd of monkeys uh, whatever you know test animals and every so often they have to send in their blood to some central lab for uh, testing and so uh, every once in a while we'd get the monkey blood call so we'd have to stop and get some dry ice and a cooler and pick up the uh, vials pack them up and ship them out on the airlines with the dry ice package. So uh, you guys, uh, airline captains of of the bunch there, uh, probably have had uh, a cargo manifest with some uh, dry ice packages. And, uh, that's generally what that was from. But I've since got a different job, as Jeff knows. So uh, anyway, everybody, have a uh, great one and uh, awesome show as usual. Thank you, Mike. Um, awesome feedback as usual. Monkey blood. Show Very title, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what image I would use for monkey blood, but, um, hmm. Yeah, I must admit, I frequently get, uh, in, funny enough, it's on the dangerous cargo list, but at the bottom, there's a separate section for, um, cargo of interest. And that includes human remains quite frequently. So, uh, I guess that's. Would be that it could, of course, be cremated remains or a body being moved, but uh, could also be, um, you know, vials of blood and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, Mike has done everything. Apparently. He really has. Yep. What haven't you done, Mike? Oh, I, I sense another piece of audio co- well, feedback he, coming in. He's he's an F one eleven whizzo, so he probably never hit the target. <laughs> oh. That was Captain HR Nick. will take no responsibility <laughs> for the comments made by Captain Nick. Oh, boy. That was bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't take a joke. Shouldn't no. listen to us. Fill in the blank. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. I, I wouldn't uh, think monkey blood was so weird in that one, though. I think picking up human skeleton would be kind of unusual and weird. Well, Just that must be been though. A- Interesting experience uh, walking into the morgue with uh, an autopsy taking place. Mm. A filet human? Too too soon. (laughs) I'm a little early. I'll come back. What are you talking about, Dr. Steph? I'm sure I had to practice on. Yeah, none of that is concerning to me. God bless. Pretty much all of that. Hmm. Better you than me. It is what it is. And it's a. it's great for learning, and we really appreciate those people who do make that kind of donation, you know, mm-hmm. to science, to learning, to higher education, because it's really very important, and there's no substitute for it. So, thank you. Well, that's exactly the donation that my father has written into his will, so that when oh. he goes, he'll head off to uh, the University of Western Australia for students to prod and poke. Excellent. Well, like I said, we really, um, we really do appreciate people who do that because it makes a big difference. Philip from Switzerland writes, Two months ago, 
we had an occasion where a Swiss pilot got pretty angry with air traffic control after having been delayed for 20 to 30 minutes, supposedly because ATC couldn't get him out of the airport. And he put uh, a link to a YouTube video with the audio of this incident. And maybe I should play. Hopefully this will work for everyone. Um, let me play this. And uh, it does. There is some um, non-English in there. Um, and there are some subtitles that uh, perhaps I can put those in while we're, while we're listening to this. Delivery 277 Uniform. 277 Uniform. Yeah, the Apen tells us now uh, you cannot go. What, what the hell is happening here? I don't know. I guess your company is doing something with the flight plan. Actually, right now your slot is 1257 till 1312. That can't be true. We've got five slots. We are, we are always ready. Either the airport cannot get us out or it's absolutely sickening. I'm fed up of this effing place. <laughs> I can't say the actual word. Oh, come on. My video stopped playing. Dang it. Hang on. Let me Probably sure had your read word. It must have. It objected to it. Nope. Yeah, you're out. We've been ready now for 30 minutes. 30 minutes sind wir parat und the slot wird permanent umgeschoben, weil wir parat sind, die Stadt eine hinten dran. Und aber man kommt einfach nie weg von dem Platz, obwohl man parat ist. Das ist auch sehr professionell. Danke. If you are in need to discuss something, just call us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or sure. <laughs> okay, well, that didn't go very well. Sorry. Um, let me uh, back this thing up again. I had it all set up and everything, and then I, my iPad decided to disconnect from the Wi-Fi. So, essentially, this guy, uh, no, thank you, we don't want to hear that, uh, was at this uh, particular airport, Zurich, and uh, uh, he was having trouble with his slot time. And he got a little impatient and frustrated and started using some unprofessional language. At one point, the uh, air traffic controller, the uh, clearance delivery uh, woman, uh, said, very professional. You're like, come on, you know, use use good language here. Anyway, um, Philip says, Zurich is known to be a busy airport with only limited capacity. Last year, I believe 25% of all departures were delayed. Having talked to one of the air traffic controllers of Zurich Tower, he tells me that Zurich Airport has its flaws and limitations. For one, one of our two longest runways, 14 and 16, were built in a V-shape and not as parallel runways. If Zurich had parallel runways, more traffic could be dealt with. Secondly, Zurich's noise abatement procedures and issues are a big topic here. There are strong restrictions regarding noise abatement coming from the Swiss government, but also Germany. And lastly, Zurich Air Airport is known to have a very unique and complicated or to have very unique and complicated arrivals when comparing other European airports. As an air traffic controller, put it into simple words, when foreign air traffic controllers visit Zurich Airport, none of them really understand what we do here. Anyway, late departures are becoming more and more frequent here. Our skies seem to be getting more dense and dense. What is your experience as commercial pilots regarding late departures? Has there been an increase in the past years? Have you encountered pilots who got very angry due to delays? Or maybe you did yourself? 
Looking forward to hear from you, Blue Skies and Tailwinds. And again, that's from Philip from Switzerland. And uh, uh, Nick, I would imagine that you, of everybody on the panel, you, were, you would be the one most likely to have flown into and out of Zurich? No, it's uh, too close no. for us. Uh, okay. You know, it would be short haul for us to go down there, really. So, no, but uh, I do understand the frustrations that can sometimes occur. Uh, more actually for you guys, because, of course, uh, when you've got multiple legs, a delay on one leg is going to impinge on your entire day. For me, it just means that, uh, you know, my one and only flight is going to get in a a bit behind schedule. Uh, it's not a lot you can do about it. Uh, shout and scream at air traffic and it's going to make things uh, happen quicker. In fact, it's probably going to do exactly the reverse. Um, although uh, I do appreciate it when air traffic uh, are good enough to give us the reasons for the delays and uh, give us an accurate estimate um, and stick to a, a nice, uh, well-defined um sequence so that you know that you're not being jumped over by other people um so you know it's, it's all about communicating well and giving information in the same way that if i pass that information on to my passengers in a in a calm and reasonable manner i know that they're likely to be less upset when there's uh, delays and problems with the aircraft exactly the same happens in that sequence when it's between a controller and a pilot uh if the controllers explain exactly what's going on and why there's a delay and how long it's going to be and where you are in the queue guys usually sit back and go well that's fair enough not much you can do about that i'll have to sit, sit and accept it riling against the air traffic is going to do no good at all well you know my my thought on that is is that uh number one i got to fly on christmas and i got to listen to the uh, happy controller in Atlanta, boy, did he sound really grumpy. I wanted to walk up the tower and see if he was wearing a Grinch outfit. But, uh, you know, truth be told, uh, you know, ultimately we're all each other's, you know, customers. So air traffic control, uh, they're our customers and we're their customers. And, uh, you know, if, if we could all treat each other in that way, uh, you know, then – you, you you should avoid situations like that. It does, as Nick said, does not no good to really get upset because it's not going to do any good. Especially here uh, in the states, there are several airports I can think off of think of off of a couple of different hands that would end you up in the penalty box, and then you would sit there and, and mull over it and think about it for a very long time. And then they would get back to you when you calm down. So uh, you know, there's no sense in in you know, I, I agree with Nick on the fact that, you know, if, if they just communicate and let us know as a, you know, in customer service, just like you, you mentioned, you know, we want something to tell our passengers as, as crew members. So if they give us something to tell them, that's providing customer service to the pilots, right? So in the same thing with us communicating with air traffic control, we have to be courteous and be nice and, 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 uh, it just it just makes things work a whole lot better. Uh, it's very rare, I think. I mean, I don't hear uh, honestly. I don't hear that type of tone and that type of uh, uh, radio talk hardly ever, if ever. I don't know what your experience is, Jeff. Yeah, you hardly do. Um, but you know, we all know those people that uh, get ag agitated very easily. And having flown with several of those, not several, but a few of those type of personalities in the past, you know, you just like, come on, dude, you know, as, as, uh, both of you said, uh, 
there's really not much you can do about it. Let's be civil. And I believe, the, uh, you know, kudos to the air traffic controller um, working clearance at Zurich. Uh, she kept it all nice and calm and basically said, you know, well, that was professional. You know, if you need to talk to somebody, you know, give us a call. Um, but, you know, try to watch your language and keep your cool. And, uh, and, and I thought she did a very nice job of trying to you know, smooth out the feathers as much as she could. Yeah. And if you're uh, on the other end of that, like the receiving end of someone being, uh, losing their cool and being unprofessional, it doesn't help to escalate and meet their, or sink to their level. No. But he did also, Philip also asked about, um, was our sense of, uh, increasing late departures in the past few years? Mm -hmm. Um, I was trying to look up to see if there was any data and I certainly can't speak for Europe. Um, I've come across a couple things that the U.S. Department of Transportation puts out about on-time uh, or performance uh, statistics, cancellation statistics, uh, on-time arrivals and departures. And the most recent one I found, and I think there's um, more recent ones than this, but this was from August 2017, and it was overall 77.1% on-time arrivals in the U.S. So that's not not terrible. And then it actually does break it down by airline um Specific domestic flights with the longest delays exceeding three hours, um, international flights, highest rate of canceled flights by uh, by airline, and then the uh, lowest rates of canceled flights. So, seventy seven point one percent. That's not not too bad for being on time. I can't speak to it from the um, from the work side of things from your perspective, but from a passenger perspective, uh, the vast majority of my domestic flights here in the U.S. depart on time. I was going to say, I think that the trend that I've seen in the last 30 years has been uh, much, much better uh, on-time stats. Now, of course, you know, that's my particular airline, uh, and we're pretty much at the top of the chart right now, or very close to it. Um, but uh, a lot of it has to do with the uh, FAA's, uh, what do they call that, flow management system, mm -hmm. and keeping airplanes on the ground with ground delay programs and such, and, and really almost almost eliminating in-flight holding. I mean, it used to be very common when I was first flying for Acme that uh, you, you'd hold all, a lot, especially going into the major hubs. And in the last decade and a half, um, you you know, it's, it's kind of a rare thing, right, Dana? You don't really, unless you're heading up to the, you know, some of the... Like New York, uh, probably. Yeah, New York area. Well, uh, it, in, in, even then, it's, it's very drastically reduced i mean it's mm -hmm. to the point that you know you get to stay current on some things and mm -hmm. one of the things to stay current on is how to enter and hold on, on you know yeah. you and how do which, we do that again i don't know the point and hopefully we'll uh, figure it out correctly here <laughs> exactly and it's 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 not a matter of you know not not wanting to do it but uh, the reality is is that we have become much better and i was thinking you know jeff way back in you know the 90s i mean how often was it they taxied out on a day like we had today especially with you know low visibilities and you know as i was taxiing out today i've got to mention this earlier i ended up having to get a takeoff alternate because we went down to you know 2000 rvr for you know takeoff you know rvrs and uh, it would be very common for there'd be 20 to 30 airplanes out there waiting to yep. take off. And and then, of course, coming into the hub, you know, you'd be sitting there in a day like today, and you'd be sitting there holding 20, 30, 40 minutes. Um, and honestly, I mean, I flew in last night. It was 
ruddy weather. Uh, we didn't hold. We didn't even get a churn off the arrival. Um, so, and then today we took off and we were number nine, maybe 10 at the most uh, in line t- to go. So it's, uh, I think when the, when we call for push, I told us it was 12 in the queue on the south side. I mean, that's nothing like what it used to be. So mm-hmm. I think we have to attribute it to a couple of things. Uh, one, the FAA's uh, increased uh, application of computer systems to manage this and, and, and the, the reworking of the national airspace system, especially with some of these departure and arrivals. I think another thing is is that the airlines, uh, even though there seems to be more equipment in the sky nowadays, there's in some respects a little bit less equipment uh, because there's less airlines. So, you know, we've con- consolidated a little bit. So maybe there's some efficiencies gained there. And I just think that uh, the overall system is much more automated now nowadays with, with you know, with us, uh, you know, Acme with our gate uh, and that was always a problem too, you know, gate holds. You know, they would put a, a gate, a, a ground stop into Atlanta because there's no gate space. So, you know, it, it's a whole combined effort. And in, in this, and I'm only talking about here in the States, but as far as being delayed, uh, not very common unless it's the go home, go home leg of the last day of a trip, then it's almost a guarantee you're going to be delayed somehow, some way. That's what my luck is, man. But, uh, Hey, I, uh, I actually found for October 2018, so pretty recent statistics here for the U.S., um, 82.56% of all flights were on time. So that's, that's even awesome. better. Yeah. That's crazy. It's very good. Yeah, so all those things con- combined have, uh, and individual airlines themselves have been doing, you know, making great strides and managing flights, flight slots, and that kind of thing, and helping to smooth all the all the flow of traffic out as best we can. So, um, you know, one of the things that Dana and I do, you know, when we take off and we're in the climb or cruise, you know, we look and see when we are projected to land and arrive at the gate and we have a window that they want us to shoot for. And, you know, if we're going to be outside that window, then within uh, the control of that as we, you know, as much as we can, we either speed up or slow down to try to get inside that window so that we have a good chance of, you know, not being too early and not being too late. Uh, sometimes it's out of our control. You know, you're just so uh, delayed because of a mechanical issue or a, uh, a weather-related issue that there's, you know, you just cannot get inside that original uh, schedule window. But uh, we we're always thinking about it. And, well, uh, and an important point with that, Jeff, is that there is that window that we are shooting for. However, that is not in conjunction with the FAA. That's just a company planning mm-hmm. window, so that. This, the gate uh, optimiz- optimization can be right. you know used. So um, there are a lot of times when we take off and or you know or en route that they'll give us completely opposite speed that we're intending intending on flying and uh, you know takes us inside or outside of the window. Right, so, and you can't do anything about that. I mean that's nope, what I'm saying. You know, we do as, as much as we can within our control to try to you know hit that window as best we can. And because there's nothing more frustrating. Uh, for you to arrive at your destination, uh, a big hub airport, and you're there 20, 30 minutes early, and then there isn't there isn't a gate. Uh, or there may be some gates, but we can't use them for whatever reason. And then you end up sitting there for 20 minutes or more. And uh, that really just, you know, makes people irritated. Um, I think I almost think it'd be better if we were, were holding somewhere for a half an hour, ended up getting in 10 minutes late 
I think people would be happier. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's human nature. You know, well, I'm here. Let me off the airplane. You know, right, you but, feel like a trapped animal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and have you noticed that as well since we've implemented that uh, that window? It's a 10-minute window that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the last two years or more, you know, the gate holdouts, unless it's a really abnormal operation, you know, almost never anymore. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. two two more years ago, we, you know, maybe even going back even a little further than that, you know, there were quite a few times that we would land, you know, 20, 30 minutes early and never be able to get into a gate. And that almost never happens, even when you're that early. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is true. Yeah, a lot, a lot more proactive things going on behind the scenes now to uh, eliminate that as much as I can. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Philip from Switzerland. Hopefully we answered your questions regarding late departures and arrivals and that kind of thing. Nev, you heard of that guy? Neville Bounds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the co-hosts of that great podcast, Plain Talking UK, sent us this. He said, uh, today I did a meetup with Andrew Wright, who is a big APG fan, and I recorded some feedback about his recent experiences flying as a passenger on the West Coast of the United States. He also talks about why he likes the content that you guys create. We met at Costa Coffee in Tame in Oxfordshire. Uh, running time is 8.58. Thank you, sir. So let's hear the audio that Nev sent us. Hello, well, it's Nev here, and we are in a very nice Oxfordshire village, not too far from where I live and not too far from where my guest lives as well. And my guest here is Andrew Wright, a big fan of the APG show and good friend of mine. And uh, we talk about all sorts of things to do with aviation, broadcast, radio, television, that kind of thing. Andrew's just back from the US. Uh, Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for the coffee. Pleasure. Nice, isn't it? So, tell me about your trip then. How did you get on? So, I'm literally just back, in fact, been back three weeks now from um, the west coast of the US. Uh, Went to do some wine tasting in the Napa Valley and uh, went down and spent some beach time in um, Newport Beach and uh, the beaches in LA. The only thing that went slightly wrong was at uh, the end of the holiday when I got caught in the wildfires that um, decimated bits of uh, Los Angeles and indeed, you know, San Francisco, but we can talk about it in a minute. One of the exciting things for me was that when I got to Heathrow Airport, I um, ended up on one of Virgin Atlantic's A34600s that had um, made a miraculous recovery from retirement and was in the um, Pyrenees in Lourdes in France and has been pulled out and it's the one with the big branding on it says a big Virgin Atlantic thank you on the side so I flew out to San Francisco on that Um, quite an interesting plane actually because we were on a remote gate and we were bussed out to uh, stand 22 something rather near the tower and from the outside the plane looks immaculate because it's had this spray paint job that was done by a company in Manchester um, and the inside is um, still the original inside, so it's, it's almost a bit like stepping back in time. But having said that, it was comfortable, the, the crew uh, were very attentive, second to none service, so can't fault that. And 11 hours later, you're landing in, in San Francisco, and of course you've got the weather. Now, do you do a lot of flying to the uh, west coast of the, the US? I do a lot of flying to the west coast of, of the US, um, and bizarrely, um, 
I use San Francisco a lot of the time because it seems to be where the deals are and also San Francisco is a great hub airport in the fact that you can um, fly in internationally, You can. I tend to have a night there so this time I stayed in Union Square for a night and then you can just go back to the airport on the bar and continue your journey. So this time um, I had a night in Union Square, had a day walking around San Francisco, went and walked the bridge in the sunshine got back to SFO late afternoon and uh, took a flight down to um, Los Angeles and and I think the one thing I would say to UK listeners is that don't be afraid to use internal flights in the US I I use Southwest they have their critics but um, I've never had a problem with them and when I have had a problem they kind of they they sort stuff out I mean it's a no frills airline you don't get a seat you get a cup of coffee but frankly, when you're flying to, flying down from San Francisco to LA, what more do you want? You want to see a cup of coffee, you want your bags to arrive, which they did, and that cost me $59. So, you know, I think it's, I think they're, it's a great concept, these, these internal flights in the US. Contrast that with actually driving it, which I've done, is six and a half hours, mindlessly boring, you're in a desert, you're having to stop every hundred miles to get fuel because you're paranoid that you're going to run out of fuel. So um, I'd rather pay $59 and, and, and get on a flight. Um, and, you know, left on time, landed in Los Angeles 10 minutes late due to um, what they call traffic flow in in the US Um, interestingly in the US unlike the UK they don't do any holding so they'll slow you down in the air they'll do a series of left and right turns to to basically vector you to the airport so that's interesting those internal flights work pretty well actually don't they and if anything ever goes wrong there's always another flight an hour later or, or something like that I think the thing about flying between two major conurbations, so San Francisco and Los Angeles, is, as you say, it's a bit like buses. There's always there's always another flight. I had a, a fair, I want to say a massive problem coming back in the fact that I was the day I came back on the Friday was when the fires were at their their worst in in, in LA and later in San Francisco, and um, I got moved to one flight, then which was then cancelled. I then got bumped onto another flight to Oakland, you know, and there there are a lot of complaining people. um, But actually, to be fair to Southwest, you know, they moved me, and and even more spectacularly, they moved my bag as well. So when I landed in Oakland, you know, my bag was there. I I think that a lot of people are very keen to bash these low-budget, low-cost airlines. But, you know, certainly my experience in America, um, you know, they, they, they do... A very good job. I've flown JetBlue, which is also budget, you know, and had had um, similar problems with them, and they've all been resolved quickly. My favourite, of course, which has now gone out of business, was Virgin America. You know, a spectacular little airline that was very, very good, and is now obviously owned by Alaska. So um, there's certainly with these low-budget airlines in the US, there seems to be a bit of a can-do attitude, as you said. You know, they might delay you for an hour, but they will will get you there eventually. Sounds good, and it's so nice to hear a good news story as well. So, the airline pilot guy, folks, they're just, well, Jeff's just celebrating 30 years working for Acme, so there's uh, lots of celebrations going on there. Tell us a little bit, a bit about the airline pilot guy show and, and why you like listening to it. Well, I think it gives people like me um, an, an all-access, you know, the AAA pass that you all get at, you want to get at pop concerts to see 
you know, the stars or whatever. I think it kind of gives you an, an insight into what goes on behind the the flight deck doors. I mean, uh, we all know the scenario that happened after 9-11, you know, where doors will be, you know, were closed permanently. Whether they will ever be reopened, I don't know, maybe not. I mean, I was fortunate enough before 9-11 to do two jump seat rides. I did a jump seat um, Air 2000 ride from... Uh, Gatwick to Sanford in Florida and I also did um, a 757 into Ofter in Israel so you know I've actually sat on those flight decks and it is a, it's an exhilarating experience seeing what those guys do you know and I think uh, for the younger generation now it it's a real shame you know that they can only go to the flight deck pre or, or post flight you know they can't go in in the cruise and, and, and see what goes on and I think it's a real shame but you know unfortunately now you know we live in uncertain times you know and it is tricky with airport security and with flight security but I think it's a shame that you know the younger generation now don't have the insight into those flight decks that you know you or I or people of a certain age let's use that phrase you know have, have probably had in the past yeah couldn't agree more and I think all the folks on the APG show give you that sort of uh, inside track don't they and that that's uh, that, that's really nice and I think also there's, there's, you know, there's always the little, you know, the little stories you hear, like, you know, the one that was out the other week with uh, one of the contributors holding at Newark for 50 minutes. You know, it, it just gives me a bit of a laugh because we've all been there. We've all been at Newark. Um, I remember queuing for the runway for 90 minutes at JFK waiting to, to get back to London. So I think, you know, it, it's stuff like that that passengers get impatient about. You know, passengers, none of us like delays. But, um, you know, when you go to certain airports around the world, you know, these delays are commonplace, you know, and I think when, you know, the guys at APG, you know, explain what's going on, passengers become more chill. They go, oh, OK, it's like a car park. If there's no parking space, I'll have to wait. So I think, I think it's good from that point of view. Brilliant. Well, that's fantastic, Andrew. Very nice to speak to you again. And uh, let's have some more coffee. Indeed. Thank you very much. Well, I thought it was great audio. Awesome. Thanks, Nev. Yes, thanks for doing that, Nev. You came back a lot quickly, more quickly than I thought. (laughs) I was enjoying that whole conversation. Then all of a sudden, well, wait a minute, he's wrapping it up. It's all over. I was actually listening to the, a little bit to the music in the background there, too. Was that the uh, Peter Gunn theme? Could you tell? Yeah, it did sound a little bit like that, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It was a great recording for that uh, very noisy environment. You can tell that Nev is an audio engineer extraordinaire. A true professional. Yes, a true, not unlike this thing we're doing. <laughs> okay, um, excellent. And thank you for the, for all the kind words, Andrew Wright. We do appreciate that. Excuse me. Um, yeah, just to uh, correct Andrew slightly, mm-hmm. um, Virgin America was just bought by Alaska. It didn't cease to exist. It mm-hmm. still exists, but it's now part of Alaska. That's true. And another little minor point, um, airlines like Southwest and JetBlue aren't really low-budget no, airlines. They're not. No. They, I mean, they may have started off as more low-cost airlines, but... Kind of across the board, they're not really. I think anymore. the airlines costs themselves are lower than the majors in general, but uh, that's not always uh, passed on to the ticket prices. <laughs> I mean, I think what they do is great. 
I really do. I think they're both very high quality airlines. Mm-hmm. But just to get the idea, we do have some like Spirit and other Frontier. Yeah. I think I would put those more into the budget. Allegiant. Kind of airlines. Allegiant. Allegiant. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't put them. I mean, I think there's kind of a distinction between like the EasyJet, Ryanair type mm-hmm. air, airlines. Um, yeah, and I'll, the, I'll put them in the dollar store. Yeah, that Southwest range. and JetBlue, I think, are not exactly. In the same they're, category. They're more like Target and Walmart. And we'll, you know, the, the, the major airlines are more like Macy's. And for those who are not from the U.S., but I have no <laughs> idea what that means. <laughs> but I'm sure that there's an analog over in uh, uh, the U.K. or wherever you're from. But uh, I, I think one of the most clever things is uh, the way that Southwest does everything. You know, the, the assumption is that their ticket prices are going to be lower than everybody else, everybody else's, which is and sometimes true, but they purposely keep their um, their schedules and uh, all the ticket prices and everything else off all the major. Uh, what do you call those? Uh, yeah, like Expedia, the the big ticket. Uh, Iceline, right, all Kayak, yeah. uh, all those different things. You have to actually go to the Southwest Airlines website to see what you know the ticket prices are for you know this point. So you can't do really. It, uh, I mean, unless you've got all your browser windows open, exactly. You can do the side by side comparison, but right. And I think a lot of people probably do that, mm-hmm. but uh, it's just I, I think it's very slick. I, I don't fault them at all for 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 doing that. I think it's pretty clever actually. But um, anyway. Especially the way that they market, they have the lowest fares. So mm-hmm. people go there, they think that they're getting the lowest fare because there really is no other comparison. And then you add on the taxes and everything else. And well, oh, by the way, it's really about the same fare. Yeah. You know, if you want to get a seat, you have to pay for the seat. Right. We give that away. So, well, yeah. I mean, and then, but on the other hand, you know, they don't charge for check bags and we do. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's. I think there's. I mean, there's a, a couple different layers of. I don't know how we got onto this discussion of uh, low cost carriers, but it was there's Andrew kind of a, you know, there's, a, there's a variety, a range, shall we say, a spectrum, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe just like cut and dry. Yeah. All the frills, no frills. Right. All right. Um, moving on to item four. This is from James. Says he's a new listener. Hi, Captain Jeff. My name is James Graves Brown. I recently discovered your podcast, and I love it. Thank you for bringing aviation to people who may otherwise not have any window to it other than the news outlets who don't do justice to the stories of the incidents, crashes, latest ongoings of the aviation industry that you guys do. So, again, thank you. I apologize in advance for the length of this. I'll try to keep it short, but I have much to say. I've always had an interest in aviation and actually attended Spartan School of Aviation in Tulsa, Oklahoma for six months in an uh, avionic electronics and instrumentation technician program, but sadly dropped out as I was young and dumb. I greatly regret this choice. I now build police cars. I do all the wiring and installation of the lights, sirens, computer systems, controllers, so my brief time in school still assisted. I just wish I'd completed the program and was able to apply what I do now to aircraft. My wife and I live in Rio Rancho, which is a suburb of Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
and recently took a vacation to Orlando in which we flew Frontier Airlines. The flight to Orlando was amazing, aside from the minor delay and diversion as we diverted south for 100 miles due to insane thunderstorms. So I got to see the lightning out of my window below us as this flight was late in the evening. I've always been afraid of flying, not deathly afraid or anything, just not comfortable. This flight to Orlando helped, and I discovered that as long as I'm sitting by the window and can see the wing slash engine, I feel much more at ease. Weird, I know. My interest in aviation quickly turned into an obsession on our return trip as we had a rejected takeoff, but the pilot was very vague in his explanation of what happened, but it scared the heck out of me as we were very near V1. Sorry for the parentheses, I just want to make sure I'm saying the correct things as I know I'm speaking to an incredibly experienced professional and I am very new to aviation. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, that's I'm glad you put those things in parentheses. Uh, James, uh, and you're nailing everything so far. RTO, rejected takeoff, V1, takeoff speed. So it sounds like you know quite a bit about aviation. I know this event should have veered me away from aviation, but it had the opposite effect on me. Also weird, I know, because I'm now fascinated with airplanes and pilots and air traffic controllers to the point that I have downloaded an ATC game and a flight simulator game called Airline Commander. I've also downloaded many apps dealing with aviation. I also started watching ATC videos and incident and crash videos on YouTube, uh, especially the flight channel, which uses a simulator to visually accompany the text, which tells the entire story of the crash or incident. Very cool videos. I also started listening to aviation podcasts, which is how I found your podcast, which is by far the best aviation podcast out there, in my opinion. Woohoo! I like James. <laughs> Anyway, after our RTO, my wife and I had to book another flight home because after eight hours in the terminal and them saying that they were repairing the airplane, fixed the plane, and finally were waiting on paperwork approval, they canceled our flight. And the only thing available was a flight on United, which was extremely expensive. And we had to fly to Chicago O'Hare, switch planes, then fly to Albuquerque, whereas Frontier had direct flights from Albuquerque to uh, Orlando and back. And worse off, I had a really hard time on both flights because I had to sit middle seat and aisle seat. So I was having a hard time. Frontier offered us $400 credit to apply to our new flight with another airline, plus a refund on the return leg of the flight as it was canceled. As it turns out, our flight home ended up costing roughly $800 a person. Frontier has since credited us the $800, paying for half of our trip home. However, they're fighting us on the return leg refund. Not sure how that'll turn out, as it's still ongoing. I know Frontier is cheap and has many issues, but I feel that the pilots made a great call for our and their safety by aborting the takeoff and returning us to the gate. And I'm grateful for those pilots. I'm also grateful for the employees working in the terminal who not only had to take the verbal abuse from many passengers on our flight due to it being canceled after eight hours, but many passengers on other flights as two other Frontier flights were canceled in that same terminal while we sat there. Despite this, the employees were professional and handled themselves appropriately, and I thank them. Now, that you know the backstory. I was wondering if there's any way you can find out what happened that caused our pilot to abort the takeoff, and if you might possibly be able to find the ATC conversation, as I'm dying of curiosity to hear it. And he gives us the uh, flight information, 
And he said, we actually ended up leaving the airport after the cancellation at around 1230 a.m. to go to sleep in a hotel for a couple of hours before having to return back at 430 to board our United flights, which were uneventful, but still amazing. And I give kudos to all pilots for the amazing job you guys do and the responsibilities you carry on your shoulders. I feel you are super unappreciated and are viewed in most people's eyes as taxi drivers, although the skill set you possess far exceeds that of anyone operating a motor vehicle and the responsibility is far greater. Thank you, James. Anyway, I again apologize for this novel I've sent you and appreciate anything you may be able to do to help satisfy my curiosity. In advance, sincerely, James. And he says, P.S. I've only been listening for a week and on episode 17 and have a long way to go to get current, but I don't want to miss anything. So I apologize in advance if I said something or asked for something that you knew no longer do on your show. Thanks again. Wow, that's a long way back, James. Hopefully he'll listen to uh, current episodes as, as we currently. Yeah. Adjust. <laughs> I mean, uh, address his uh, his uh, feedback. I did actually try to find the information about the flight that uh, had the rejected takeoff. And I did not, I looked in, on FlightAware. I did not see that flight for that day. It wasn't listed. I don't know why. And then I also went to uh, liveatc.net. And James, if you don't know about that website and the app that you can get on your phone, you should check it out. Because if you're a real av geek, you'll really um, be interested in listening to the uh, air traffic control audio for a lot of the airports here in our country and around the world, actually. Uh, and they have an archive. And so I went into the archive and I tried to find uh, the uh, tower, Orlando Tower uh, audio for that time frame that you gave me. And suspiciously uh, said that the servers were down at that point. So there was no ah, recording. I know. Fierce. I don't. I say suspiciously. It might just be one of those things that maybe they've been having. This is an all volunteer thing. Uh, all these uh, audio recordings that LiveATC.net does is all by a, a, a huge number of volunteers out there that uh, provide the scanners and and equipment to record these uh, feeds and uh, provide them to the uh, website uh, again, all for free. So um, you know, can't really complain too much if they don't have a feed for your home airport or or if you go in there looking for something as I did and then not find it um, you know you can it's a, a little frustrating but I was hoping to be able to play that for you because it would have been interesting I think for everybody to hear the communications that uh, the pilots had with the uh, tower controller when they had the uh, rejected takeoff but sadly I was not able to find it <laughs> yeah um, so I'll put um, James feedback in the show notes, perhaps one of those people out there that are better at sleuthing than I am can actually find some more information about this. And again, uh, if you're just listening to the audio and you want to jot this down, it was frontier flight 1267 from Orlando to Albuquerque on October 14th, 2018 departure at 4:50 PM estimated time of arrival 655. So that gives you some parameters to work with. 1267 Frontier, Orlando to Albuquerque, 14 October. So good luck. I was not able to find it. So I really can't tell you what exactly happened there, James. And I'm sorry that the pilot didn't uh, communicate a little bit better about what happened. Yeah. It, it's Sometimes it's a little, uh, you're a little unsure. 
because one of you can call it and uh, it can be a transitory indication. Uh, and by the time you got through the rejection, you're looking at the gauges going, uh, all looks fine now. What was that all it about? Exactly. So, yeah. Sometimes I think I saw it, something. <laughs> yep. Sometimes it's not as easy as you think. Yeah. True. And fortunately, it doesn't happen that often. So no. when it does happen, it's kind of a shock. <laughs> I think I've had one low-speed rejection in 25 years. So. Yeah. I've never had a high speed, you know, knock on wood. Um, so, neither, anywho. Neither have I. Yeah. It's not not a common thing. And, uh, yeah, wh where we see them is in the simulator. We see them a lot in the simulator. Oh, yes. Every six months or so. Yeah. Yeah. Without fail. <laughs> um, okay. You know, we're getting close to the time where we usually do our installment, latest installment of the old pilot's plane tales. And this is a special one. It's entitled Christmas Outtakes 2018. And without further ado, let's hear it from the old pilot. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, oh dear. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Fighting to keep the machine straight in gusty winds, he slowly let the ground beneath him. Left the ground beneath him. You let the ground. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. The power plant was still working within limits, and the aircraft was dis displ displayed serviceable. No declared serviceable. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. 172 also hit the headlights in headlights. No, it didn't. Dashing through the snow. He was flying a B-17F Flying Fortress. Trish, or Fortress. In a one-horse open sleigh. When a wing creates lift, it causes uh, pressure differential. Or the fields we go. RAF Coningsby in Lincolnshire, the English country that saw so many county, not country, twit. Bells on bobtail ring, oh. making spirits bright. Oops. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. It would carry one unsteady. Jingle bells. There were no significant sna snags. Snack, neck, neck, nags. The squadron was spending a while up in the north of the country, in Bodo to be precise, when, and when they could, <clears throat> as an experimental and production test pilot, I can't say that, I can't say that, but by the time the United States entered the Pacific War, Boxer Rocky Marciano was returning home for a birthday party in 1969 when, when he burped, oh dear. Jingle bells. The boxer Rocky Marciano was returning home for a birthday party. Party? Pras, pras. The great artist and engineer Leonardo da Vinci is often credited as the first to propose a reasonable flying machine in 1940. Wrong. <laughs> Jingle all the way. 
He was eventually, apparently, apparently, eventually. That's not very good, is it? Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. A great benefactor was the Latvian industrialist and an inventor. Day or two ago. The second Kramer Prize was for a hundred thousand pounds, which at the time was worth twenty-two. No, two hundred and twenty-two. I thought I'd take a ride. For this, McCready had to blah. And soon Miss Fanny Bride. It's doubtful that where have I got to? I can't see it. Was seated by my offered up in parts of China that the Japanese did not fully control. Then I've lost my place. The horse was lean and lank. In one estimate, Chang's shoulders... Shoulders? Shoulders? No, not shoulders. Misfortune seemed his life. In one estimate, Chang's soldiers... Shoulders, I still want to say it. We ran into a drifted bank And then we got upside all the aircraft that conducted clandestine spy missions throughout the Cold War. Curled War? Didn't curl it very much. Jingle bells. The Allies, and America in particular, were keen for China to keep up. Uh, not keep up. Jingle bells. You are fighter pilots first, last, always. If I ever hear of any of you shooting at someone in a parachute, I'll shoot you myself. Jingle all the way. You are fighter pilots. First, last, always. If I ever hear of any of you shooting at someone in a parachute, that's twice now. Oh, it's fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. He was flying a B-17F Flying Fortress. 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 Why can't I get that right? Jingle bells. Then the colour changed to black and flames burst. 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 Jingle bells. By now they were around three miles southwest. And blah, blah, blah. Lost my place. <laughs> Jingle all the way. One of whom was Mirek Wojciechowski. Boin in... Boin... Boin... <laughs> The squadron trained and trained, but wasn't given operational status. Despite the Battle of Brutton, Battle of Brutton, the story starts. Now, many of us know of the brave African Americans who flew with the Tuskegee Airmen. Tuskegee Airmen. I wonder how you pronounce that. The technological leaps that the scientists of Pienemund made would stun the world, and by the end of the world, uh, end of the world, oh God, please no. Here, fighting a common enemy. <laughs> I hate myself. Her grandfather was Theodos. And Theodos, Theodos, idiot. Oil pressure rising, the starter clicks off. Check the hydraulics and pneumatic pressures. Nodule, nodule, what's up? I've never found a nodule before. 
we drove it around using the rudder pedals that were linked to the nose wheel steering once a red button on the stink on the stink <laughs> stinky red button in circumstances that were eerily similar to the China Airlines crash as first officer Ohad cold <coughs> It had been painted pure black and looked dramatic. Dramatic? <laughs> she had a bed. Uh, bed Betty. I wish I'm ready. Working as a mechanic, he learned to fly and purchased an old Aeronica. Aeronica? No. Aero, Aeronca. Aeronca, you twit. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Stole three hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars worth of gold, gold, gold bullion. What's a gold bullion? We wish you a Merry Christmas. They first hid the ingots in a freezer and then a backyard, from which they then planned to make a further move onto remote farmland. But a blizzard, blizzard, a blizzard. What's <laughs> a bloody blizzard? We wish you a the disaster prompted the introduction of stringent safety measures. The disaster prompted the introduction of stringent safety measures to protect spectators. Let's oh, get it right, Anderson. The tidings we bring. And pilots cruising at 16,000 feet might find their aircraft carried uncontrollably. Trollably. What's a controller be? To you and your kid. To provide an essential electronic link to its spacecraft. Spacecraft. What's a spacecraft? We wish you a Merry Christmas. In an airliner, it can cause an, quite a problem. Hmm, yes, okay. And a happy new year. Roughly transmated. Transmated? <laughs> I don't do much transmating. Now bring us some but being an American <clears throat> sounds awful. Now bring us some figgy pudding. He admitted that setting new delivery rec where, where have I got to? Now bring us some figgy pudding. Aware of the dangers of trying to shoot the V1s down, some pilots chose to use the turbulence from their wingtips to topple the auto pirate pirate. <laughs> and bring it out here. As the Germans retreated, retreated, during the height of she tried to start again a few miles north in the desert and took out mortgages on a hundred thousand. It wasn't a hundred thousand, idiot. Schiphol came back with the runway in use, 06, and the wind, zip, 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 zip. We all like figgy pudding, we all like figgy pudding. Since it appeared that there was an absence of primer and corrosion preventative compound, oh dear. We all like figgy pudding, so bring it out here. One of them was Sergeant Josef Front. Frantisek, Frantisek, Frantisek. The tidings we bring to you and your kid. 
One of the most dramatic cases was that of Wing Commander Stanislaw Skalski. Stanislaw Skalski. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. So, as the perfectly enunciated and dulcet tones of the carol singers drift away on the wind, I leave you to contemplate on just how long it actually takes me to make a plain tale. With the end of this year's selection of Christmas outtakes, I'll leave you to your festivities and wish you a wonderful time over the holidays and a smooth takeoff into the new year. Merry Christmas to you all. Please replace with your holiday name of choice and happy aviating, whoever and wherever you are. Thank you for the kind wishes, old pilot. And <laughs> we uh, we really do appreciate all the all the time and effort that you put into it. I know that yeah, we we have no doubt that it takes quite a bit of time to make one. Yeah, uh, every twenty minutes takes twenty hours. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's all Nick does during the week. He's not <laughs> doing the show. Plain tales. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Yeah, I must admit. It does take a wee while. You do such a great job. As as you are such an eloquent speaker. Good thing that Dana doesn't do them. Yeah, thank God, because it might take me three years to do one episode. Now, what I was trying to say is you are quite the eloquent speaker, and just thank you for what you do, and you do such a great job with it. It's very kind of money, eloquent, because I have a good edit button. Uh, well, I love the um, self-reprimanding that goes on. <laughs> get, it, get it right, Anderson. <laughs> really genius. Well, that comes from flying on my own a lot. Uh, you know, there's only one person to tell you off if you get it wrong. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah. That was stupid. Yeah, I say that a lot yep. to myself, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, quite right, Whoops, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where was that? 18 after 7 o'clock. Okay. 2.18. Yeah. <laughs> 2.18. Okay. That's all right. They're, those donkeys, they are pretty dumb. Generally. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Uh, thanks again for that. That was a lot of fun. My pleasure. And I'm glad that you're not perfect, because then we wouldn't have these great outtakes. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> that was only a small selection. <laughs> I just wonder how much time it takes you actually to put all the outtakes together, because that's a lot of, a lot of uh, audio. Yeah, I don't have to think about it though, because uh, they're all there. Whenever I record one, I have a separate track, and every time oh. I make a fluff, I just drop that audio into the separate oh, track. Very clever, uh, and keep it. Um, so it's, it doesn't take me. It just takes a little bit of editing to put it together. Whereas uh, at the moment, I'm writing a plain tale, and I'm just not finding it easy. This one, it's just not easy to, you know, join it all together. And uh, some that's when I get a, a bit of a block like that, then it becomes a pain. Hmm. Well, we do appreciate all the effort that you put into it. I love it. Well it's, worth it. My, it's my fun thing. So um, <clears throat> the next thing I have here, uh, or Liz has on the uh, list, is some more audio feedback um, and this from Stephen. But I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put in some non-audio pieces of feedback just to kind of break it up a little bit because uh, Stephen's audio is almost 12 minutes long. So let's move to six and 
That is from Rob. And let, please don't let me forget to go back to Stephen's audio. Noted. Rob, Robert, Richard, and Dick. and Dick um, sent in some feedback. Hamish, Hamish and Tamish, <laughs> yeah. Hamish T. Hamish Haggins, Haggins or whatever. Haggis, yeah. Uh, FAA may think they figured it out or figured it that E-R-U. Okay, let me try this again. FAA may think they've figured it that E-R-U. Robert, you need to proofread these things before you send them in. Okay? <laughs> the sad thing is I don't know that he actually wrote that part of it, did he? <laughs> Maybe uh, he did. I think he did. Okay, that was his title. It wasn't just from like the article. Oh, yeah, maybe not. Maybe he just copy and pasted it. Anyway, he sends us a link. And uh, essentially what he's trying to say is that the FAA may have figured out what happened in the Embry-Riddle University. Uh, what was it, an archer that uh, yeah, lost a wing? A the wing file down. Arrow. Oh, arrow. It was an arrow. arrow. Okay, yeah, I knew it start with an A. It was a piper. It was a small airplane. Um, and so he sends us this, this link. And uh, let's see. The FAA has proposed a new airworthiness directive, an AD, requiring the inspection for metal fatigue of main wing spars on numerous Piper PA-28 and PA-32 single-engine airplanes that have reached a certain factored time in service level, reporting the inspection results to the FAA and replacing wing spars that fail the inspection. And uh, let's see if either main wing spar has been replaced with a serviceable main wing spar, more than zero hours time in service. The airplane maintenance records are missing or incomplete. A wing spar has a factored service life of 5,000 hours or more, or the factored service hours cannot be determined. An eddy current inspection must be performed on the inner surface of each bolt hole on the lower main wing spar cap for cracks within the time inter intervals specified in the AD. Inspection results must be reported to the FAA. The agency said that the AD was prompted by a report of a fatigue crack found in a visually inaccessible area of the lower main wing spar cap of a PA-28R-201 airplane, the Embry-Riddle airplane. Investigation revealed that, quote, repeated high load operating conditions accelerated the fatigue crack growth in the lower main wing spar cap of the accident airplane. Airplanes used in training and other high-load environments are typically operated for hire and have inspection programs that require 100-hour inspections. We determined the number of 100-hour inspections an airplane has undergone is the best indicator of the airplane's usage history, the FAA said, noting that approximately 19,696 airplanes would be affected by the review provision. Um, and the uh, uh, this accident, just to remind everybody, happened on the 4th of April, I believe, 2018, in which a wing separated from a 2007 Piper PA-28R-201, and this airplane had 7,690 flight hours in the fleet of Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And the FAA in, uh, estimates that two hours of work would be required to comply with the mandate to calculate the factored service hours of an airplane, conditional costs to perform an inspection and to replace nuts and bolts were estimated at $147.50 per wing spar. The cost of replacing a wing spar, if needed, was estimated at a nice, easy, cheap $8,260 each. So, yikes. Hopefully the wing spar is in good shape. I don't think that's in my house. 
What is that? <laughs> I so, don't know. Sounds like it sounds like in your, you're in New York. Oh, well, you're in Philadelphia. That's pretty close. I'm in Philadelphia, and that was a horn outside. Is that what you heard? Or you yeah, kid out in the hallway. Yeah. I heard uh, both, both, actually. <laughs> yeah, I hear the kid out <laughs> screaming. Out in the I was hallway. like, what is what is all of that? There's a kid out in the hallway screaming, and then there's a horn going off outside. Well, so, the ambiance. I'll, I'll mute it. Oh no! Well, if you wanted to say something, go ahead and say something. I well, no, I have nothing to say. Oh, okay. just, Perhaps you can in a minute, because I don't know exactly what an eddy current inspection is. Now, I have a vague idea, but has anyone got a really good explanation? Nope. Yeah, I would, I would, I would just be guessing at it. Yeah. But it's, it's probably a, a, a way for, for metal fatigue to, to show its ugly head by running current through it. And uh, you can check for fatigue that way. A localized electric current induced in a conductor by a varying magnetic field. Well, okay, that clears it up. Perfect. <clears throat> yeah, is one of one of many electromagnetic testing methods used in non-destructive testing, making use of electromagnetic induction to detect and characterize surface and subsurface flaws in conductive uh, materials. Mm. There you I, go. I'm guessing you run a current through it and measure the electric, uh, the magnetic field it creates. And if there's a crack, it'll distort the, the magnetic field and you'll be able to see an anomaly. That would be my best guess. That's what oh, I assume. That's, that's a great but, guess. <laughs> wow. Oh, really? That's amazing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like an x-ray for an airplane. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, but a lot cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Robert says, if there are cracks, the resulting field is of non-uniform shape. Ah, excellent. Okay. Wow, we're learning all, all kinds of things about eddy currents. So 147 bucks isn't much, and it certainly seems worth it if it's going to save your life. But, geez, uh, the cost of fixing it uh, is pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, if you've mm -hmm. got to replace the whole spar, then that's a little but pricey. But again, yeah. you know. How much does that airplane cost, though, like, from, like, you know, like a whole airplane. If you were, right? were going to buy a 2007. Yeah. yeah. Probably uh, what? 40, 50,000, something like that. No, my guess is probably close to 60 to 70 for okay. a nice one. So yeah. when you think of it that way, a wing spar at 8,260 is not too bad. Yeah. And of course, it's one of the major and first components laid down. So it is, can't be easy getting in there and getting the old one out and putting a new one in. Um, yeah. They're not really designed to be easily replaced units, are they? Right. No. They're designed, I think, to last the whole lifetime of the airplane, aren't they? Yeah, I think. which begs the question why they're not. Uh, mm. It looks like it might have been a bit of a, 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 you know, a little bit of a design error. Yeah, but then again, I think most people that buy that airplane, use that airplane, aren't using it the way that Embry Riddle University is using it. I would guess. Yeah, it takes a beating. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, just imagine a rental car that's been been on the uh, on, on the rental lot for you know five hundred thousand miles i mean it's it's just gonna get beat up yeah i guess with a lot of students just doing continuous circuits and it it's gonna get yeah more touch yeah. and goes than the average one. Oh, yep. and actually a, a much newer piper uh arrow like this one was 2007 i believe mm -hmm. it's closer to hundred thousand or more oh so. and of course robert also adds that the spar may be eight thousand, but the labor to swap it is likely at least as much. Again, maybe more. So it's not going to be a cheap thing, but yeah, 
Anyway, I mean, but, most most airplanes that have a broken spar are generally considered totaled. Yeah. Well, I guess this because, is the like the bolt uh, in that certain place that might have cracks. So, I mean, it's not like the spar is broken, but it might break if you, you know, put too much. Are we just talking about it. like the fatigue in the metal, yeah. basically? Yeah, I must admit when when I've well, I have flown aircraft that have been very high in fatigue life and have had various uh, fixes uh, to strengthen, they tend to just overlay plates onto the areas that are going to become weak, uh, just to give them additional strength. Uh, I'm surprised there isn't a a fix you can just apply to the you know uh, area where the bolts go through, you yeah. know to add strength rather than having to replace the hull. Perhaps that will come as they uh, finesse the um, the problem. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they figured out what happened there and that there is uh, an inspection uh, forthcoming for all those uh, airplane types, and hopefully it won't happen to anybody else. Yeah, uh, well, it was a tragic accident when yeah. you think about it. You nice. didn't never expect that to happen. Yeah, nothing they could do. They were just along for the ride. Unfortunately. Well, thank you, uh, Robert, for that update. And uh, now let's go back to Stephen and his audio regarding uh, some of his uh, or his experience in getting trained by his airline. So without further ado, take it away, Stephen. Hey, APG crew, Stephen Ivy, the airline pilot in training. Um actually have some time to leave some feedback of where I'm at with all my training. So I started about a month ago now, um, with training with the airline I'm going to work for. Um, it started out with this ATP CTP course, which is basically satisfying the requirements of, um, the ATP certificate that you need to actually be a airline pilot nowadays. Um, the course itself basically consists of a ground school portion and a simulator portion. The ground school portion is covering basically jet aerodynamics, high altitude um, aerodynamics, and the issues that come from all that, um, some general airline operation stuff. Um, the course itself is supposed to be non-aircraft specific, but the airline I work for kind of throws in some bits and pieces um, that pertains to the aircraft you're going to be flying. So the ground school's uh, five days of classroom training, and then there's a test at the end um, that covers everything that you went through in the ground school. And then the next four days, you have a simulator training, um, which is in... Um, can be in any aircraft, but I was fortunate to have my sims in the aircraft I'm going to be flying, the CRJ series. So we had four days of sims, and they're basically just going through some basic maneuvers, um, taking off, landing, shooting an approach, um, high altitude stalls, and um, low altitude stalls, wind shear, um, white turbulence, and then some general emergency stuff. So once uh, you get through with all that, um, you start in-dock training. Um, the first day is basically um, going through company history, uh, human resource type stuff. Um, and then you get um, your EFB, which, well, 
it's not much of an EFB, but it gets the job done. Um, we have a Microsoft product here at the airline I work for. Um, it, it, it works. That's about as much as I could say about it. Um, also, that first day, they go through your logbook. Um, so this is kind of interesting. Um, I did all mine part 61, so I didn't really have a lot of other things I needed other than just my logbook and my certificate and other things. Um, but the 141 guys have to have a sealed certificate of completion of a aviation course from their school. Um, so a couple guys had to scramble to get that in from their schools. And also, um, some of the guys had some simulator time, um, which I found out, and I probably should know this, but I didn't have a lot of simulator training when I was doing all of my flight training, so I guess it didn't really matter too much. But you have to have the um, FAA authorization letter for that sim. So, like, if you... Um, do your training at flight safety or another major place. They usually have a book with a letter um, right at the staircase that goes down to the sim. So you got to make sure you have that. Um, if you're going to be logging any kind of simulator time, that's going to count towards your certificate. So if you're in a 141 school and are in a full um, motion sim and all that, you've got to have that letter of authorization, a picture of it, or a copy of it. Um, for your hours to count your logbook. Um, so after that, NDOC is um, about a, is a week, it's seven days long, um, and it covers basic operations inside of the airline, um, different rules and regulations that revolve around 121 stuff, also covers the exemptions that um, the airline I worked for had, um, so some relief from certain weather minimums and things like that. Also went through um, some company-specific stuff as far as approach plates and stuff. Um, airline I'm going to work for goes into some tight airports that are in some mountainous areas, so they've got special procedures and stuff for going in and out of these airports, and their uh, their plates are a little bit different than a regular Jeppesen plate that most people use. Um, so go through all that, and then there was a test at the end of it, and uh, made it through that. Then um, after that, they give you um, about 40 hours of CBTs, which covers systems on the CRJ um, aircraft that you've got to go through and also start memorizing limitations for it. Um, so then that following Monday, so NDOC ended on a Wednesday after the test, and they give you all weekend to go through the CBTs. And that Monday, you start the ground school portion, which is actually um, going through the company's operations manual and figuring out the different phases of the um, flight and everything, you know, what you can do in this phase, what you need to do here. Um, so in the mornings you would go through, um, one step. So you would go through like the pre-start sequencing or the engine start, so on and so forth. Um, and then in the afternoon you go to a matrix simulator, which is a basically stationary sim that's got the um, mock-up of the uh, CRJ where you can go and push all the buttons, learn your flows, and see what happens when you push a button, how the system reacts and the aircraft reacts and all that. 
Um, then after that, you had another session um, in the afternoon, which was a FMS lab, so learning the program, the flight management system, um, the little box that uh, you do all your flight planning in and everything, get your performance numbers, and um, learn to fly with it. So that went on for um, about two weeks and had a test. Well, I actually had three tests. You had a um, FMS validation showing that you could actually um, use the FMS in the way you needed to. Then you had a matrix um, test to see how well you've learned all the procedures and the flows and stuff. Then you actually had the written test on Friday, which um, basically determined if you could move on to the next step or not. And I um, passed it, so I was able to advance. Um, and then now I am out of ground school and then the simulator part, which I guess is technically part of ground school, but moved on to simulators. Um, so the first the total sim footprints about three weeks long. Um, the first week um, you're in a fixed based sim. So it's um, got the mock-up like the matrix, but it's actually got a real FMS. It's got real throttle quadrant and a um, real autopilot control panel. So you're actually flying, but you're not feeling the motion. You're not, uh, you know, you're not seeing stuff outside. You're not taxing and all that. But it's meant to um, get you ready to move on to the actual full motion sim. So uh, refining your procedures, your flows, and everything as it relates to the aircraft. Um, so I'll be doing that for um, four days, and then um, middle of this coming week, I um, will be going back to Atlanta. I was fortunate enough to get a sim slot at the um, simulator they have um, next to um, the um, Acme headquarters building. So that will be nice to be back home and all of that. Um, and then I have, I think, I th was it three days off. So the following Sunday, I'll start the actual full motion sims. Um, I'll do five days of maneuver training and then have a day off, and then I'll do four days of um, loft training, as they call it. So actually flying trips in the simulator between point to point, you know, doing the whole thing you'll be doing out in the real world. And then um, the day after that, I have a oral validation. So basically sitting down with a... Uh, guy that's going to evaluate me on my knowledge of the aircraft, the operation, and everything. And if I pass that, I get to actually go on to the check ride the following day. And if that, if I pass that, I will move on to IOE, um, which will start sometime um, in late October. Um, they really don't tell you where your IOE will be until you pass everything. So, but just wanted to update y'all on where I was at with training and everything and what's uh, coming forward. Um, and I have to say, the training has been really, really intense. I mean, I, I knew coming in, everyone was like, oh, it's a fire hose information. And they are very correct. It's a fire hose of information. And it's really easy to get lost in these deep, dark holes of information where you can just not learn the things you need to learn. Um, 
there's stuff that you need to know right now to get you through certain parts of this training. And then there's stuff you need to know once you get out um, on the line flying in the real world. Um, a lot of, um, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but there's a couple people in class um, that would get lost in these what-if scenarios. And, you know, you, you can't train for what-if scenarios. You can train for, you know, dealing with them as they come up. But, you know, sitting in a classroom all day dealing with what-ifs is not going to be the best for you or your classmates going through trying to learn everything. Um, but if you're able to discern and, and the company I'm working for, they've made it really easy to do this, but discern what you need to know for the test and what you need to advance. Um, it'll make life a lot easier. I know the company I'm working for or are going to be working for. Um, they give you a lot of study guides, um, you know, like, you know, go read this, go look this up, learn this, uh, know this, stuff like that. It makes it a lot easier to go through training, even with all the information. Um, it, it really does help. And that they've kind of made it to where no matter what your learning style is, you're going to be able to learn if you if it's reading, if it's hands on or if it's through watching videos. They've got a bunch of different resources to help with that. So. But um, hope uh, everybody's doing well, and uh, I'll uh, try to leave you all some more feedback here in the next couple weeks um, after I get through uh, sim training. Take care. Spoiler alert. Steven makes it through sim training and makes it through his IOEs, and he's an active airline pilot. He's on the line. Woohoo! Yes. Well, Living the dream. Don Steven. Yeah. I mean that's it. That's it. He's correct. It. It's, um, so pleased because yeah. we've just followed him all the way through, and it was not even uh, a foregone conclusion at any point in his career. So I'm delighted he's made the switch across. Uh, well done, mate. Yeah, we we're so excited uh, for your success, and we we knew all along that uh, you had what it took took to uh, to do this, Stephen. So we look forward to hearing some more from your yeah. experience. <clears throat> Absolutely. And it was a great pleasure to see Steve last week in uniform uh, walking through the terminal. And, you mm -hmm. know, I, I had that audio feedback that I put in the show last week that uh, he uh, updated us on that and, and gave us a prelude to this uh, audio that he submitted. But it's sure great to see Steven out there flying the line and uh, in uniform, smiling bigger than bigger than he can even imagine that he's smiling so well that's it i was thinking his smile's probably as big as the peak in his cap so yeah, uh but <laughs> i wish i could have been there with you to uh, congratulate him yeah me too he, he was glowing that's all i can say <laughs> brilliant ah uh, too close to those nuclear reactors <laughs> well, Do you have a lot of yeah. those in Georgia too. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, lots, a few. I live like four miles from one. Ah, well, he was that's why our engineer. That's yeah. why stuff is always glowing. That's right. <laughs> it's in the air and the water, probably. Nice, yeah. nice. Okay, moving on. Uh, number eight. Uh, good morning, Captain Jeff and crew. Uh, here is Captain Robson on a Learjet forty from Brazil. Have I said before? A long-time listener. Yes. Follow the attached failures that an A330 belonged to LATAM had and overcame in uh, declaring an emergency and diverting to 
Convins International Airport yesterday, December 20th. The original flight was from Sao Paulo to London. Would like to know what Captain Nick has to say about these details. Once the captain of the flight made an announcement for the passengers that it was an electrical failure. Now, this is not the same uh, flight that we were talking about earlier in the news section. That was a 777, right? Now you picked up on it. Well done, Jeff. That's why I I messaged Jeff a little earlier to say we could get through this very quickly because this is not an A330 incident. This is the 777 incident we covered earlier in the news. Um, It's PT Mug. Um, If you notice the registration, it's the same. Ah. Um, But uh, Captain Robson has managed to uh, obtain some data which he sent through. Now, um, I don't know if you're going to put this in the show notes, Jeff, but there's a a PDF here with a download of uh, all sorts of um, uh, data from the uh, health aircraft health monitoring uh, readout. Uh, And it's pretty technical and it's, it's Boeing stuff. So, it's not Airbus, and so I haven't really got much of a clue. About no wonder it, you said you could knock it out pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nick's like, I got this. Let I'm me thinking, handle it. Really? But it looks like you know, a lot when, of stuff to me. <laughs> <laughs> when you can't do something yourself, the <laughs> trick is to find someone who can. Uh-huh. So uh, I got on to uh, an Acme Red engineer, a good friend of mine, uh, Ian Arnell, and uh, he's a bloody genius, and he's a very nice guy, and we always have a good old chat when uh, he's uh, seeing me off or coming on board to uh, fix another broken bit or even something as simple as leaning out and cleaning my windshield he's a wonderful guy anyway uh, he wrote to me about this because i sent him this piece of data and said ian what the hell is this and he said uh, hi nick hope you're all good uh, that's product b my dear it's uh, the same as the pfr from the tam triple seven um AHM is aircraft health monitoring. Uh, we have that format for the 787. It uh, looks like he had a substantial power spike at uh, 0254, and everything after was a result of it. Reassuring, though, that most were inactive. Probably just needed a good old Airbus reset. Kill all the power for five minutes, power it up, and again, and mostly will go away. Well, that's on the ground anyway. Uh, all the black text are maintenance messages that fix the status and advisory messages in blue. The seven-digit numbers in black uh, are the first two uh, ATA chapters. Uh, now, they're the chapters that relate to specific aircraft systems, so and they're common throughout uh, the entire aviation industry. So if you, for example, see a Chapter 70, you'll know it relates to your engines. Uh, and I'm sure it's the same for you, Jeff. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, the remaining five uh, specify the fault deciphered by FIM, Fault Isolation Manual, which nowadays are non-paper and PC-based or loaded onto iPads like we have for the 787. So it's it's a huge data dump from that aircraft that had the electrical problem. And if people are interested, want to try and plow through, that's a few clues on how to decipher it. But I personally am not going to make the attempt. What? Well, we've already heard all about it, really. We we had a nice distillation of what went wrong earlier. I was looking through our... um, Oh, wait a minute. That's a CDL. The... uh, Oh, the MEL on our airplane, and just to see if those numbers match. And 
let's see, our engine and fuel control is ATA 73. Yeah, but the, it's, the the 70, it's the 70 series. Yeah, so everything most to do things with to engines. do with your power plant are yeah. 70 and onwards. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's a industry standard. I think it should be, generally yeah. speaking. They try so that people um, okay. switching types don't have to uh, flounder so, right. so easily. But okay. anyway, so we can skip on to the next one now. Yeah, but, so we'll uh, include all this in the uh, the PDF in the show notes, and people can just really dig into all of it. But the big message is it wasn't an Airbus. It was a no. bloody Boeing. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to say that. <laughs> you can take scrub that. Yeah. Fix it in post. Yeah, thanks. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, let's have another piece of audio feedback. This from someone who is in our chat room right now. MBF, Matthew Buntingframe. He's in Scotland, actually. He's That's not where he lives. He lives uh, uh, outside of Melbourne or in Melbourne, uh, Australia. Uh, I kind of But uh, he's in Scotland and drinking a lot of scotch, apparently. And now we're going to hear what he sent us as far as his audio. G'day guys, MBF reporting for APG live in Air, Scotland. What's the date today? It's the 21st December, Mark. Thank you very much. Now you're probably wondering who I'm talking or speaking with. This is um, Alistair Kerr, he's uh, Air's number one av geek. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi guys, uh, I'm Alistair, I'm a PFR, PFL pilot, been 20 years, fly from my local aerodrome in Preswick, which is probably one that maybe Jeff went to in his uh, Starlifter days, I think it's also maybe one that Mammy Rick has flown into, um, I'm an I'm a IT consultant and I always wanted to fly, I wanted to be an RAF fighter pilot to be honest, but uh, it wasn't good enough for that, unlike uh, Captain Nick. Um, so instead, I became a bit of an AV geek and went to places like RAF Lookers, probably when Nick was maybe flying Phantoms or Tornadoes way back in the 80s. These days, I just fly as a hobby. I've got to say, it, it, you gave me a fantastic uh, tour of Presswick uh, Airport today. It was, it was magnificent to be able to see the diversity of aircraft that is on hand there. It's, it's actually quite a very large airport. What kind of aircraft did we see today? Well, we had a variety of aircraft. We've got the regular Ryanair 737s. It was a 700 today rather than the usual one. And, it was. And we saw a Cargolux uh, 747-800. Uh, and we got some rather you know, good close-up pictures for that. And then the Flying Club old aeroplanes like the, the 152s, the, the 150s, the BA-28s. Um, and there was a lovely uh, 172 uh, flying boat. Um, known as G-Dram, which is quite famous in Scotland. It flies at the local air shows, for example. Now, I reckon, Nick, you might be a bit, a bit jealous about uh, G-Dram because you haven't flown her. You've flown a lot of other Virgin... Uh, oh, sorry, should I say Acme Red aircraft with uh, questionable uh, registrations, but you've never quite flown the Dram yet, mate. But uh, it's been fantastic, and it's been awesome to catch up with Alistair. Now... Captain Rick Bell, if you're ever in Presswick again, I will pass on to you Alistair's details because he is one keen man to catch up and have a drink with. That would be great. It would be great to meet up with uh, Captain Rick and uh, we'll bring him out to the restaurant we're in tonight, Matt, just celebrating before Christmas. Indeed. It's a, it's a beautiful restaurant. It's called The Treehouse. It's here in lovely air, seaside uh, town, and it's been fantastic to be able to catch up with Alistair Kerr. 
Thanks, Matt. Lovely meeting you. All right. Thanks, Matt, for the audio. Wow. Where, where did he say he was? In a pub? A pub in the air. Uh, I think he was floating in the air. Oh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah, he did say he was an heir. A-Y-R, Scotland. Yeah. A lot of ambience in that pub. A lot of Scottish people enjoying a wee dram, I would suspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As they should. Uh, now, press week, uh, I've taken, I, I flew phantoms in too many a time. It was a regular exercise whenever we were put on a war footing for us to deploy aircraft to a uh, nearby airfield uh, and um, fly from there. And uh, a couple of, couple of three times I deployed a, a bunch of, I went, letter deployment for a bunch of phantoms over there and we worked from there for a few days which is always brilliant because when you're on your home base during one of these major attack of alex sizes the whole base is on a war footing and you're you're in the most dreadful accommodation eating uh, awful food and working constantly and when you actually go to what is effectively a civil airport you stay in a local hotel usually and you don't fly very often, and you're there just to, and you're sort of out of the exercise environment. You can go to the bar and have drinks, and <laughs> brilliant. So uh, we used to enjoy that. But, mm. yeah, I must say that uh, Presswick uh, is not one of those places that I have a pin in my map, in air quotes. Yeah, I also did my instrument rating. When I came out of the Air Force and got my uh, air transport pilot's license, I needed an instrument rating. And uh, I did it there at the British Aerospace uh, School. So, yeah, I uh, have flown there quite a few times. Um, now, Matt, I'm quite sure what Matt said. He said, flown the what there? I didn't quite hear that because it was a lot of shouting in the was background. Was it a specific aircraft registration? <laughs> don't know, actually. Sure. Yeah, and he did mention an airline I've never heard of before. But, uh, well, there you go. Yeah. Kind of similar to Acme Red, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I didn't know where he got that one. (laughs) I have no idea. Thanks, Matt. Um, And uh, continue to enjoy your vacation over there in the UK. Um, 11. Jim says, uh, attached is an audio comment concerning the Lion Air 610 accident based on an article in Aviation Week. There are some items that should have been in my comment that were omitted. The, this information is from the December 10th, 2018 edition of Aviation Week. The article also mentions another difference between the 737NG and MAX pitch control systems that sounded interesting. Quote, the pilots pulled back on the control columns, but the aircraft's elevator feel shift system, uh, EFS, which prevents pilots from pulling back too sharply in certain flight conditions and inadvertently stalling the aircraft, would have increased the resistance they felt. EFS is not new to the MAX, but the amount of resistance provided via hydraulics is greater than on the new generation, the NG. And then number three here, he says, incredibly, rather than returning to the takeoff airport, the pilots of the, of the morning flight elected to continue to their destination with the stick shaker in continuous operation. And I believe that uh, Jeff Felmuth, uh, Colonel, good-looking Captain Jeff, said that it's one heck of a stick shaker. So it must have been an interesting flight. And he also gives us a uh, link to a PDF of the uh, preliminary report and some uh, a, a link to 
a folder containing screenshots of the two cra- uh, graphs that he re- references in this audio feedback. So let's hear what Jim has to say. Hello, Captain Jeff, your cockpit crew, and the APG community. This is Jim Howard, just a navigator in Austin, Texas. I'm a little behind in episodes. I apologize for that, but I had to comment on Colonel Jeff's fascinating discussion of the Lion Air 610 accident, and particularly with respect to how the 737 pitch trim system works. Aviation Week had a fascinating article that I haven't seen anywhere else that's basically extracted from the preliminary accident report. And what it's showing that nobody else I've seen has is a comparison of the flight data recorder outputs from the prior flight of the day, which was in the morning, that came back and landed successfully, and then the evening flight, which was the accident flight, a Lion Air 610. The previous flight of the accident airplane flew at about 1,400 GMT and had the same problem as the accident airplane. What these uh, flight data recorder graphs show is a lot of information about what was going on with the flight control system. The first thing that jumps out of you is that they had an AOA difference of 20 degrees between the left and right seats right at takeoff, and they continued for the whole flight. This caused the left-hand stick shaker to actuate right after takeoff and continue for the entire flight, which has got to just be mind-blowing to the pilots. Now, of course, we've talked about this uh, MCAS system that is a new protection that they added to the 737 MAX that wasn't in earlier ones. And you can see it working. They have graphs of the automatic trim and manual trim inputs, and you can see what happens. The MCAS will put in a down command on the uh, trim system, and the pilot immediately responds by putting in up manual, up trim. And then he lets go of the wheel. The, the, the airplane puts its nose down, and the, the pilots pull it up. The difference between the first flight of the day and the last flight of the day is that the pilots in the first flight executed the runaway stabilizer trim checklist that uh, Colonel Jeff mentioned, that stopped the automatic trim inputs. So even though they had some warning lights and they had the stick shaker, they were these first pods were able to turn around and land the airplane successfully. And that's got to have been a pretty hair-raising ride right there. In retrospect, you know, really sad is apparently whatever maintenance actions they took, between the first flight and the second flight didn't correct the AOA problem because on the second flight, the same exact thing happens. As soon as they take off, the left-hand stick shaker actuates. The pilots start putting in trim to oppose the nose-down commands from the automatic system, and it's just a square wave that goes through the whole remainder of the uh, accident flight. You see it all, it's as clear as can be on these graphs. The pilots will put in an up trim. The, the automatic system will throw in down trim, up trim, down trim, up trim, down trim. It's just a square wave. And I think the article said it goes on for 35 steps. And then right at the last two minutes of the flight, you can see from the altitude readout that for whatever reason, the pilots completely lose control of the airplane. It just dives into the water. Very, very sad uh, graph to look at. I will include a link to the actual Malaysian authorities' preliminary report 
And you can in particular look at figures five and seven, which show the graphs of the flight data recorder uh, information that was captured. Uh, it's just a, a heartbreaking graph to look at if you had any math training at all. Anyway, thanks to Captain Jeff and Colonel Jeff and Captain Nick in particular for a great discussion on the safety aspects of these kinds of systems. And I certainly hope that whatever the problems that really cause this, that they are addressed and that this will be the last time something like this happens to a 737. Thank you, gentlemen and ladies. This is Jim in Texas. Thank you, Jim, for your audio feedback and your recap of the article in the Aviation Week uh, article of, what do you say, December 10th? December 10th, 2018. Okay. So uh, we'll put his um, feedback in the show notes with all that information. It really encapsulates and sums up the problems that the guys had. And, uh, you know, what on earth was this aircraft? doing being released back to flight with such a, a minimal amount of uh, maintenance work being done on that system. Uh, I think the tech log said that they blew through the, uh, the pedo tubes, the tubes that connect the pedo to the system. Uh, but th th it was very little uh, proper effort made to uh, fix the previous fault. And it was a very serious one as yeah. we can, uh, now know. I wonder if the inbound crew had any chance or opportunity to brief the incident accident crew. It's always an interesting one, isn't it? I always try and look out uh, for the pilots uh, who are coming into the hotel and try and catch them and ask them. Because when you look at the tech log, sometimes the guys are tired and they 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 write very sh short descriptions of problems they've had, and the engineers. Uh, uh, are often not present when you uh, are at the aircraft until quite late. You know, sometimes you just don't get that face-to-face -face chat that you sometimes reveals much more about a problem uh, than you can glean from the tech log. Yes. So true. So true. Okay. Hmm. What's... That can only mean one thing. The Adventures of Ivor and Tarquin. Uh-oh. Yeah. This time, uh, Ivor, he says, Dear Captain Jeff, well, congratulations indeed. 30 years at Acme Airlines. I haven't managed that many years of marriage to the lovely Mrs. Ivor yet. It was heartening to hear all the messages from your sycophants. Uh, sorry, uh, devoted listeners. Uh, but were they not guilty of premature rejoicing? I'm sure you said the great day was a few days in the future, so now you've safely passed this milestone, I hope. Many congratulations on a lack of employment imagination over the last 30 years. <laughs> 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 you know, he really has a way with words. That's one way to put it. So he says, he continues, but in all seriousness, the messages were super heartfelt and a joy, except for maybe Captain Al. That level of genuine pleasantness and good feeling from the Welsh wizard was, well, unsettling. No mention of a bodily function, no dig at Boeing or Mad Dogs. So what I'm suggesting is we maybe try to encourage him to seek help 
We all love Captain L, and I don't want to see him decline into some dark hole of pleasantness and kind behavior. And dare I say it, pro-Boeing views? Love and kisses mm. from I don't, ask it happen <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> also, a very happy Christmas and a safe new year to everyone, whatever your beliefs, whatever your color, and wherever you are in the world. Thank you, Ivor. Absolutely. And while Thanks, we're talking Edward. about milestones, I love Captains Jeff, but I'm now down to 150 50 days. Wow. 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 <laughs> it's going to come fast, isn't it? Yeah. That's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> Okay. Family show, folks. Family show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where is that? I haven't played that in a while. <laughs> yeah, oh, I really, boy. I, re I really need to do that more often. Where is that? Heck. Uh, That's what she said. Uh, where, where is it, Jeff? It's there somewhere. <laughs> oh, heck. I thought I had that somewhere, but apparently not. Huh. Digress, sir. Anyway. Um, thank you very much for the kind words. Well, mostly kind words, Ivor. And uh, Happy New Year to you as well. And uh, with that, I believe, let's see, do we, I don't know if we really have time to do item number 14, Justice. It looks a little lengthy. Yeah, it does. And I think we're, we could probably have a pretty good discussion about that. So mm -hmm. let's save that for the next show. Uh, we did a pretty good job knocking out almost everything there. Uh, just a couple that we didn't get to. And uh, so if you want to participate in our feedback section by asking us our opinion or a question about something, um, please uh, send your feedback to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, let's see. Also, if you have the app, you can use the uh, function in the app to uh, send feedback as well. Unfortunately, the uh, website feedback uh, form is still not working. So again, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com works perfectly. And uh, speaking of the website, great place to find out about the crew, the uh, uh, the community, and uh, we have merchandise and um, you can learn about the coffee fund and so much more. So again, that's airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, let's see, the apps I just mentioned are available for both iOS and Android. Uh, Google Play Store on the Android and the iOS uh, the App Store for your Apple products. And they're free and ad-free. So it's another way to uh, engage with our community. Actually, the best way to engage with our great community is via Twitter and Facebook. And Steph's going to tell us all about that. I can certainly sum it up. You can head over to twitter.com or use the appropriate app for your device. And we are at APG Crew, and you can find all of our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of that page. You can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Um, good interaction there with the community. Um, staffed mostly by Captain Nick and Liz, or at least monitored, I should say. Um, but if you leave anything for any of us, it will reach us there as well. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Found it. There it is. <laughs> um, we're also, uh, we have a team on Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, 
please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. And another big thank you to our producer, Liz. Uh, you're a great addition to the crew, and uh, it would be very difficult to do this without all of your fantastic help. So thank you again for that. And until next time, wishing all of you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. See you in 2019. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Hasta la vista, baby. Good day.